This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, available on most podcast platforms and at WARFradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we've got our regular segments, including your AFLW injury debrief, the lowdown with Luana Williams. We talk fantasy football with Jack Hooper. We look back at round six of the AFLW and get predictions for round seven with Nicole Graves and Lisa Coach Kiwi Roper, plus five featured guests this week. First of all, to the VFL Women's Competition with Teresa Meissner, a German playing for the Geelong Cats. We also catch up with Ross Clayfield. He's the coach of the UQ Red Lions and the QAFLW competition. We chat with Mark Moody from the West Adelaide Football Club and the SANFLW. Over in the WAFL Women's Competition, we've got Ashley Gomes from East Fremantle and we chat with the newest NTFL life member from the Darwin Buffets have won their way through to the Women's Grand Final, Kylie Duggan. But first, the latest women's footy news. Just a couple of brief items in our women's footy news for this week. First of all, the West Coast Eagles Geelong match for round seven has been moved back 24 hours to Monday. This is due to the border restrictions being lifted in WA. Across to the match review officer, and he's handed out three reprimands for this week. Courtney Wakefield of Richmond charged with stripping Ashley Riddell of North Melbourne. Hannah Scott of the Western Bulldogs, who was charged with engaging in rough conduct against Chloe Malloy of Collingwood. And Demi Little of the West Coast Eagles, who was charged with engaging in rough conduct against Stephanie Kane. To your Round 6 NAB AFLW Rising Stars from the Collingwood Football Club, it's their first ever father-daughter signing, Tani Brown. And from North Melbourne, it's their small forward in Daisy Bateman. And we've got a bit of a German theme to this week's show. Obviously, We've got Teresa Meissner coming up later on in the program. She came out of the Hamburg Dockers. Well, the coach of the Hamburg Dockers is Lisa Wilson. Of course, she helps get the AFL Germany women's competition up and running, formerly uh, from Great Britain and playing with the GB Swans. Uh, She is the first ever person in AFL Europe to be recognised with AFL Level 2 coaching accreditation. Congratulations to Lisa. The Lowdown with Loana Williams. It's time now for your AFLW Injury Debrief. It is the lowdown with Luana Williams, physiotherapist, and it's great to have her on the line to take a look back at AFLW Round 6 and try and get through all the jargon and explain to you these injuries and what happens from here to hopefully get the players back on the field as soon as possible. How are you, Luana? I'm well, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Unfortunately, we do have a hospital award again in the AFLW. It wasn't like last week where there was a run of ACLs. In fact, there's a, a mixture of injuries. Um, let, let's start off, shall we, at the um, Adelaide Crows. And uh, they had a couple of different injuries. We, we begin first with Nikki Gore, who um, did her ankle. Yeah, um, Nikki actually fractured her ankle after landing awkwardly uh, with the mid-air collision. I think it actually might have been with their teammate. Um, fortunately, this has, did actually happen in the opening minutes of the game, so I wonder if it probably might have given the coach a little bit of a headache as well, having to reshuffle some of the rotations for the rest of the game. But she actually had surgery on the weekend and has since been ruled out for the rest of the season. 
In terms of recovery, um, I mean, this is very much surgeon dependent about what they would like to do afterwards, but I would be hazarding a guess that she's probably going to be in a moon boot for a period of time just to give that ankle some time to heal. And there might also be a period of um, time of, with her on crutches as well. So she's either not putting any weight through or maybe not putting too much weight through that ankle, again, just to help with the healing time. And then following on from that, I guess, quite a lot of work with the physio to get her ready for the season starting again. Um, I think probably worth mentioning as well that that physio doesn't necessarily have to happen after the moon boot if she's in one and when she can start weight-bearing if she is not weight-bearing at the moment. Um, You can quite often do some gentle range of motion exercises or non-weight-bearing type stuff when you aren't, um, even sort of just quite soon after surgery, really just to try and make sure that the ankle doesn't stiffen up too much. So whenever you've got some sort of fracture with or out surgery, you put it in a cast, it's going to get stiff, quite stiff. So wherever possible, is sometimes surgeons will actually just say, yes, you can keep moving that joint um, if you're in a non-permanent cast. So I'm, I'm hoping that she probably will be ready for the season to start again next year. Uh, there was another injury at the Adelaide Crows. Um, Hannah Button did her shoulder. Yes, so Hannah actually dislocated her shoulder during a tackle a little bit later in the game, so maybe a little bit easier on the rotations of the coach. Um, we have had a couple of shoulder injuries, haven't we, over the last couple of weeks? And the shoulder is a highly mobile joint, and the reason for that is to enable the arm to move into a variety of different positions. It's quite a versatile in the arm. Unfortunately, there is a trade-off for that high level of mobility, and that is a lack of stability, and therefore the shoulder is quite susceptible to dislocation. This dislocation occurs pretty much when the shoulder is put into a position. It's generally speaking a position of sort of, oh, like with your um, limbs kind of outstretched. And when it's put into a sort of a position at end of range and there's an additional force put on the limb, which the structures around the shoulder aren't able to protect against and unable to push back against the force that is being put on the shoulder. So what about the, the recovery from that? Because, you know, we, we, we keep hearing of the theory of, oh, just knock it back in. I mean, is it as simple as that? Or what is the process um, when, okay, it goes back in, but are we talking about maybe is there damage? Is it there's, there's time to heal so you can't do anything? Where to from here once, as a physio, you pop the shoulder back in? Yeah, well, the... The medical team thinks that she may actually be a possibility to play this weekend. They say that they were able to pop the joint straight back in and that she pulled up pretty well after the game. So there is the potential to damage structures around the shoulder. So I was saying that there are certain muscles or ligaments that are in place to stop, not stop having a dislocated shoulder. So if they are damaged then and they're not able to support the shoulder, then um, that's going to keep the injury going. And like I've been saying for quite a few weeks, the goal of returning back to sport is to one, to ensure that the damaged structure is okay, and two, is to make sure it doesn't get injured again. So there'll be quite a lot of physio this week, just checking to see how those muscles and ligaments are going. Are they going to be strong enough to support the shoulder if she was to come back again this week? And if not, how much more time is going to be required to do that? So they might try and give a, a time frame of when she will come back to playing again. But I think it's probably safe to say that regardless of when she comes back, there probably will be quite a lot of tape on that shoulder, just making sure that it doesn't pop out in the next game that she plays. To the Gold Coast Suns and uh, Jamie Stanton has also had a serious ankle injury. Yes, so another ankle injury this week and a, another fracture. So she fractured her fibula and she also damaged her syndesmosis in a tackle on the weekend. And I just wanted to 
perhaps spend a little bit of time talking about the syndesmosis because this is an injury that I've been hearing coming up oh, every now and then over the past couple of years when we're talking about injury reports. Um, so essentially, the syndesmosis is a structure that sits at the bottom of the ankle and it connects the two bones of the leg. So that's the tibia and the fibula. So the tibia is the big chunky bone that's sort of the, the bottom half of the knee. And then you've got the fibula, which is the skinny bone that sits on the outside of that. And that's the bone that she also uh, fractured in the tackle. So at the very bottom of those two bones in the ankle joint, there are a number of different uh, ligaments that actually connect together. And that's what's called the syndesmosis. They hold those two bones together in the ankle. And when that gets injured, it's also sometimes called a high ankle sprain. So that becomes injured when the ankle is put into a position where the two bones are stretched or pulled apart from each other with enough uh, force to cause some damage or tearing of those structures. And that must have happened as well in the injury that she had on the weekend. To the Carlton Blues, um, for Mimi Hill, um, devastating. Uh, this is her first year, obviously, uh, playing in the AFLW. In fact, she was, if I'm correct, she was on the NAB League coverage on uh, Friday night, uh, uh, giving special comments in that game between, uh, I think it was Oakley and Dandenong. Um, so things were looking pretty bright for her uh, on and off the field. Unfortunately, um, bad luck has struck for her in that game against uh, Geelong and ACL. Yeah, the first draft pick for Carlton last year, like you said, debut season and was playing some pretty good footy and unfortunately did her ACL in the fourth quarter against Geelong. So, oh, I mean, we've spoken about ACL so often this season. I mean, I think this is number six that we've spoken about, I think. And so I think nothing more really to add on the injury itself, only to say that she's um the recovery process is well underway and she has seen a surgeon this week. So I guess all we can say is wishing her a successful recovery and hoping that she will be fit and ready to go for the start of next season. To Geelong, Millie Brown has done a hamstring injury and that seems to be a bit of a theme, unfortunately, across this AFLW season. Besides, obviously, the ACLs, which are probably the more high-profile injury, but we are having those soft-tissue hamstring injuries. Yes, um, another injury that likes to make an appearance in this podcast, isn't it? You're right, not quite as much as the ACL. And we have spoken about it quite a number of times because it is a muscle that is put under quite a lot of pressure during the sport. So it's probably not surprising that it has been mentioned a few times. I've been unable to find any injury on how bad this hamstring strain might be. And um, that's something that the physio and the medical team will be working out and trying to establish this week. As I've mentioned, I think in that couple of previous episodes, there is a grading system for muscle tears with the lowest grade requiring the least amount of time out of sport. And so essentially, if to enable us to return back to playing, uh, there'll be a number of tests that are done just to make sure that the hamstring can withstand the amount of strain that's put on it during play. Uh, there are a number of things like kicking and running and then running, bending down, do sort of put quite a lot of pressure on the muscle. So did a work done on first getting the, the hamstring ready to go and then just making sure that it can handle some specific gameplay stuff, I would imagine, in the next few weeks. So just a couple of brief ones before we go. Uh, for Kimberly Rennie at the Bulldogs, lower leg injury. We don't have much uh, uh, news on that coming out of Witten Oval. And uh, an injury that uh, had previously been done, uh, Olivia Vesley of uh, the Saints. Um, she actually went in uh, for some surgery on a torn plantaris muscle that adhered to the Achilles tendon. 
just reading that sentence alone sounds extremely serious. Can you give us a little bit of insight into that? Yeah, so like you said, I, I imagine that this is an ongoing injury. It sounds like she's torn her plantaris at some point uh, in the past and it's just not recovering as well as it would be. And it sounds like potentially at the, the, the test site where it's meant to be joining the muscle itself to heal, that it's actually been healing to the, um, sounds like it's been adhering or attaching to the Achilles tendon which might just be causing some problems in terms of the calf muscle complex. So when we think of the calf muscle, we actually think of the gastric and the soleus. They're the two main muscles that are in the calf. And and the Achilles tendon is the, the mechanism of attaching those muscles to the bone at, um, at the ankle or the heel. So this adhesion on the Achilles tendon must be causing some issues. I would assume, sorry, um, I'm causing some issues in the calf complex. And it obviously was easier to remove it it sounds like, in terms of ongoing recovery. Well, Luana, thank you very much again for joining us for your program. It is The Lowdown with Luana Williams, an AFLW injury debrief, and we look forward to your company again next week. Thank you, and here's hoping for perhaps a few less injuries. She plays AFLW Fantasy Football Podcast. Six rounds down in the AFLW season. How are you going with your fantasy team at sheplays.com.au to help you out if you need to repair your team as we get closer and closer to the end of the season? We've got on the line from sheplays.com.au and Supercoach Talk, Jack Hooper. Jack, how are you? I'm very well, Peter. How are you? I'm not too bad at all, but I am feeling a little bit blown away by this stat, and I wanted to focus on this player early. Caitlin Ashmore affectionately known as Cashy amongst those who know her from her days playing in Ballarat and then with Melbourne University. Apparently, she's more successful than any of the clubs in the AFLW competition. (laughs) She has the most wins out of anything. 25-win milestone was racked up on the weekend. So if she's such a winning player, how does she look when it comes to fantasy points and value? Uh, a little up and down. Uh, she's $35,000 as a midfielder. Um, she's gone from round one through six, 168, 69, 66, 119, 79, and 105 for an average of 101. And that's $347 per point, which is solid enough. I think anything south of 400 is good. Um but she's been, she's been a little up and down, I guess, this season. So some scores in the 60s as well as some scores in the 160s. Ah, but hey, if she keeps winning, then good for her. <laughs> I was going to say, so if we put a team of Caitlin Ashmore's out in the park in the fantasy game, maybe that wooden, winning record wouldn't uh, hold up. <laughs> you'd do okay, you'd do okay, but maybe not quite as much as 25 wins. <laughs> Okie dokie, let's get into the game. Uh, we know so far, by the way, with the global leaderboard, Stephen 24-7 is just leading the pack by, uh, I think, around about 350 with 13,116 he scored. i got to love the round six score from him, though. Very Richie Benno, 2,222. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Indeed it is. Indeed it is. I am happy that I outscored him, though, by 69 this round. Let's take a look at some of the players that are performing well. Now, Brianna Davey, I think for, for four matches in a row, has scored 10 AFL Coaches Association votes. She's been ripping it up. Nick Nick Rapondas from SEN reckons that, you know, she, she might be the most dominant player in the competition. How does that look for fantasy points 
pretty good. Um, well, in the last four weeks, when she's got those perfect 10 votes, she's gone 157, 204, 164, and 237. So, um, and she's, she's averaging 181 for the season. Um, high price at 55000 but that's um, still only $304 per point, which is on the positive side of the ledger, and that's for the full season, not the last four weeks where she's just gone completely gone bang although she's gone she's had a, I don't think she's had a, don't think she's had a bad game all season um, yeah look if people want to get in a, a top end mid for their team she's definitely one to look at um, probably wouldn't give her the captaincy each week just because she's got a good feeling but her floor is maybe not as high as someone like Kiara Bowers um, so she can still put in a sort of maybe like a 100 sort of score which is still you wouldn't, but that's not the end of the world. If your captain scores 100, that's hardly something to you know, go and go off and cry about, but it's not as good as, say, a consistent 200 week in, week out like you get from Bowers. But if I was going to spend 55 grand and get in a midfielder, I'd definitely be looking at Bree Navy. Interestingly enough, if we look at the best points out of this round, Bree Davy is actually tied with Gemma Houghton. Gemma Houghton also scored. 237 points. Now, some might scratch their head and go, well, look, if I was to look, you know, just the eye test out in the park, I I wouldn't say Gemma Houghton, you know, she's a very good footballer, but not the same level as Bree Davey. But it's a different story when it comes to fantasy points. Can you explain how Gemma Houghton managed to to rate so highly 237 points this week for the Fremantle Dockers? Right, well, 133 of those 237 points came from scoreboard impacts. So that's both kicking goals yourself and helping your team kick more goals. Um, and that's something that the scoring system rates very highly. I think it might be a slight effect of the fact that the scoring system was invented in an era where the game was much lower scoring. So it put a, it put a very, started put a very, very high premium on kicking goals and players who can contribute strongly on the scoreboard. Um, and that's, that's still in the system. And I'm, I personally, I would like to see that stay in the scoring system. I think it's, Something that sets it apart from other systems, like the super coached, where being a forward is kind of like a death sentence from a scoring standpoint. Um, so I think this is maybe a better reflection of uh, the way the game is, uh, where those good players in the forward half of the ground are often the ones who are winning you the game. So Bree Davies gone from. She's got uh, 55 points from contested ball on the weekend, 109 from ball movement. So she's probably, and she's a, she's a very damaging player and a very good ball user, so that's not surprising. Uh, pressure and defense is another solid 52 points. So that's tackles, uh, smothers, spoils, etc. Anything where you, the stuff you do when you don't have the ball. And then 24 points for scoreboard and attack, which is, I don't know, I have not got her full stats right in front of me. I can, if you, really want I can bring them up but um, that's probably a few sort of score involvements and maybe a couple of goals I'm not sure if she kicked a goal on the weekend or not but on the other at the other end you've got uh, Gemma Houghton who's gone, got 133 from that category and then just the 24 points from pressure and defence uh, so much more of an offensive player but she's got a lot about 51 points of ball movement which um, isn't surprising for a forward who can push up the ground if they can if you take clunk a contested mark and then send the ball inside 50, that can definitely bump their score up, especially if they 
pick out a target really well. And then she's got 29 points for contested ball, which isn't huge. Uh, but you know, if she, uh, but if you're if you're winning your own ball, you'll still you'll always be rewarded in this scoring system if you win win a hard ball. Let's take a look at some of the rising stars. Uh, we have two rising star nominees out of round six, and interested to know how they uh, they went. First of all, Collingwood's first ever father daughter signing was Tani Brown. She was uh, round six NAB AFLW rising star nominee. How did Tani Brown fare when it comes to fantasy points? 113 points on the weekend. Um, a pretty balanced performance all around. So across the four categories I mentioned before, 30, 35, 28, and 23. So a pretty even performance. And then, sorry, just the one playing is only three points lost there, which is great. And who was the other player? The other player would be Daisy Bateman. Now, she was originally Collingwood VFLW. She's now at North Melbourne as a uh, forward. So you'd be thinking along the Gemma Houghton uh, category, hang on, what scoreboard impact? How does that all play into it? How did Daisy Bateman go uh, this week? 118 points, uh, 54 of which came from that scoreboard impact category. Um, Just the eight from pressure and defense, but a solid 32 and 24 from the contested ball and ball movement categories. Um, So it's not too much of a lopsided performance all in one, all in one sort of category, but, um, you know, if she could, if she could maybe lay a few tackles, she'd probably bump that scoring up even more. So that's maybe something to work on. But yeah, like Jenna Houghton, it's definitely tilted strongly towards that uh, scoreboard impact side of the scoring system. Okay, let's get down to the nitty-gritty dollars per point. This is where we're trying to look for the value, get you to get them in order. We're looking at your midfielders, your forwards, and your defense. If you're looking for one player from each of those categories because you're thinking about doing those trades and you're trying to uh, pinch uh, with whatever money you've got left in the whatever small trade that you can do, Dollars per point. What are we looking at for the for the best value midfielder, the best value forward, the best value defender? Right. Well, the best value midfielder is we've mentioned her a few times on this show. Uh, Courtney Hodder from Brisbane, fifteen thousand uh, dollars, averaging ninety three. That includes a twenty eight point effort in round four, which is keeping her average down. Apart from that, she's gone one hundred and ten, one hundred and seven, eighty nine, ninety six, and one hundred and twenty five. So that's one hundred and $62 per point, which is ridiculously cheap. Um, so if you're looking for a bottom-priced midfielder, she'd be the one to get in. Um, the next on my list is probably misleading because she's only played uh, the one game, uh, Abby Maloney for Collingwood. Um, she scored 90 points on the weekend, which, if she keeps up, is very good value for $15,000, but that's just a, that's a sample size of one game. So I'm not... I'm looking at I'm looking at your list of forwards because Tory Groves Little, for example, 111 yeah. points, only the one game at, at 20,000. Yeah. The one that could probably maybe give us the, the the best example at the moment. There's two two to look at. Uh, one we got Tessa Levy now. She, of course, she used the WNBL basketball and now playing at Richmond. She's played three games so far, uh, averaging 75 points. So it's it's less than a hundred. But how would you rate that value though at two hundred and one dollars per point? That's very good value. I mean, anything. <clears throat> I think the magic number that we used uh, to sort of multiply previous season, the previous season's average to get the players' prices was probably around four hundred. I don't know. I wasn't privy to exactly what the number is, but just looking at, it, I'm going to say it's probably four hundred. Um, so anything south of four hundred is very good value. 
is or, you know, anything south of 400 is, po- is in positive terms, value-wise. Um, if she's 200 and something dollars per point, that's even if she's only averaging 70 something, that's still very good value. I mean, the only thing, the only way that doesn't apply is if you end up with unused money that you could use to then get more points. Um, if you've, I mean, you can have all the best players, the best value players in the competition in your team, and then you'll probably have a lot of money left over. So that's probably not the best thing to do. You want to get the best value players in and then from the top off the bottom of those, bottom players of those and place them with the top, absolute top end players you can get. Trying to find that right balance. Personally, with my team philosophy, I try to go with most of my expensive players being my midfield, thinking, well, if they rack up a lot of disposals, that'll build up the points for me. And then I try to get a bit cheap around the forward line and the defence to try and fill out my side. Um, How about defenders? If if someone is looking for for bargain basement prices in the defenders, because that's one area we might try to penny pinch if we're really loading up the midfield, where are we looking there for dollars per point value? Uh, well, if you haven't already got her, Ruby Schlatter from Collingwood. Um, apart from 69 in round one, she's gone 198, 125, 118, 105, 86, then back up, no, sorry, 86 on the weekend, which is her lowest since um, round one. She's still averaging 117 points, which is terrific, especially for 20 grand, which gets you $171 per point, which is insanely good value. So... If you haven't got her at least on your bench, you need to get her in, I'd say. Um, but she's probably low-hanging fruit. The next one on the list would be uh, Tia Haynes from Fremantle. She's $5,000 cheaper. Uh, she's a couple of dollars per point more. She's 173 instead of $171 per point. Still insanely good value. Uh, but she's been more up and down. She's gone 55, 107, 141, then down to 44. 65, then back up to 109. So, <clears throat> personally, I prefer I prefer that kind of consistency because I know what I'm getting and I know whether to put the player on the field or whether to have them on the bench. Whereas if they're more up and down, you, it can be kind of hard to hard to know and it's um, it's easy to stuff up. Um, so of the two, I'd go for Schleiss. But if you haven't, if you've already got her and you're looking for a really cheap, good cheap defender. Tia Haynes would be one to look at. And personally for yourself, Jack, coming out of round six of uh, the AFLW, how is your fantasy team shaping up at the moment? And what a couple of moves that uh, you might be considering and making? Well, it's that a D. I don't know, K-Week. I scored just shy of 2,200 points. Uh, I think I moved up the rankings a little bit to 27th, so not doing anywhere near as well as you. Uh, I think you might have moved. Did you move up to eight? Uh, yeah, I moved from 13 to eight. Nice, nice. So, well, look, it's, you should be the one giving advice rather than me, I think. But um, I'm doing all right. I'm not sure, actually, what I'm going to do yet. Um, I brought, I started Dessio, um at the start of the season. She was built to have more midfield time. And I guess part of, part of, me, part of that is me being used to um, super coach scoring with uh, fantasy, uh, fantasy competitions for the men's league. I'm used to seeing more midfield minutes equals bigger scores. Whereas this fantasy, I'm this scoring system, even though I invented it, still it still sometimes surprises me. Um, and what I've found this year is that players who are impacting the scoreboard are the ones doing really, really well. So 
And since she's she's had a quiet start to the season, she's maybe, I think, moved a bit more forward, uh, still worked up the ground a bit, and in the last few weeks has just gone bang. Uh, like hundred, a couple of scores in the 140s, then 160-something on the weekend. I started, started her, then traded her out after she started slowly. I brought her back last week, um, and I was very pleased with her. I think... I think she'll Fremantle will be a tougher game for Carlton this week than Geelong was. Although I think both teams will be happy for it to be a fairly open, free-scoring affair, which would definitely help a player like Vessier. So I'm not about to go and trade her back out of my team just yet. Um, so I think that helped. I think who else did I bring? I've, 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 last two weeks I've brought in Elise Parker. I'm not sure. Hold on, let me just bring up her scores. Elise think, Parker, of course, from the GWS Giants. Yes, yes. So I think I might have broken her. She was going, first four weeks, she went 206, 246, 182, and 202. Then I brought her in, which went down to 177, then 102 on the weekend. So my apologies to anyone else if I, if I ruined Elise Parker for everyone. But, um, but she's still doing very well at 186 points. Uh, so 186 average, 269 points, so dollars per point. Um, I brought her in a couple of weeks ago, so that's, and that was on the back of good early season form. She's maybe dropped off a little, but um, I'm, to be honest, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do yet. I think what I'm going to do is probably clean up my bench. I've got Nene Hill from Carlton on my bench, and she's just done an ACL, sadly, so that's one I'll want to replace. Um I think at the moment I'm probably happy enough with my on-field team that I'm going to look at the bench in case um, I get some surprises with injuries because we do have um, that problem this year of teams being announced only a day before the games and the lockout for our fantasy game being like a sing- not a rolling lockout but a singular lockout um, just before the opening bounce of the round. So that's I know a lot of people have had problems with that. Um, I certainly have too. Um, yeah, I think uh, we were probably caught a little off guard with that. I think if we'd if we'd known that was going to be the case going into the season, uh, we probably would have come up with a better solution to that. But that caught us off guard um, when that happened. I'm not sure how if it if that's that, look maybe that's my fault for not um, keeping up with the news in the preseason, but. Um, but yeah, uh, but to be fair, but to be fair, as we say, um, you know, everything's being done on the fly. Plus, it's done by volunteers at cheapplays.com.au, so we should mention that as well. And we're very, That's very right. thankful for that because that allows us to play some type of fantasy game. That, to be honest, we still can't believe after round five, none of the uh, mainstream or league have uh, done it themselves. Uh, but uh, it, it's great that sheplays.com.au has stepped up to the plate. I'll give you a quick little look into my team at the moment. Kiara Bowers was my top scoring player at 218, and I had her as captain. I've left her as captain all year, and at the moment, it's bringing in some great value for me. Um, down the bottom end, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a look into some that probably didn't perform as well for me as I would have liked, as in uh, those that went below 100. Kate McCarthy was only 16 points for me on the weekend. Karen Paxman, a surprising low 98. Ali McKenzie, thereabouts 96. Ruby Slicer, though, good value at 86, so I can't complain about that. My better performers, Lauren Pierce and the Ruck, 176. Thank you very much. Chelsea Randall, 156. Aaron Phillips, 170. 
79. Ebony Antonio racked up 172 points for me. And probably the biggest surprise, Irishwoman Aileen Gilroy with 133. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess you mentioned Paxman there. And I think just one thing I'd mention for her is, look, if 98 is a bad game, you know you've got a good player. <laughs> um, so just keep just keeping that keep that in mind when your premium when your high price players put in that odd quietish game. If, if that's a bad game for them, you know you've got someone good. Um, D- D- dare I say I, I might be considering trading her um, come this round because Melbourne play the Adelaide Crows. Yes, it's in Victoria at Casey Fields, but I, I would be thinking: Does she step up for the big game, or does she get blunted when you got the likes of Randall and and Phillips that are going to be racking up numbers elsewhere? So. Paxman might be trade bait for me uh, coming into this game. Mackenzie, I expect better numbers for because Richmond are playing uh, the Gold Coast. McCarthy, I expect better numbers for because the Saints are playing the Giants. Um, Carney um, uh, did okay. We'll probably get better numbers for me against the uh, Western Bulldogs in Tasmania. Uh, But I do have an alert for everyone. As we were recording this, um, the fixture has changed for round seven. Uh, It's a date change. It is not a matchup change, but a date change. The West Coast Eagles versus Geelong, which were meant to be played at 5.10pm on Sunday the 14th of March um, due to a little bit of a change around the uh, border timings, border restrictions with uh, WA. Um, this game is now moved one day later. It will now be Monday afternoon, 2.10pm WA time. That's 5.10pm uh, Melbourne time. So again, West Coast versus Geelong will now be held in WA on Monday. We haven't had very many rounds where we haven't had something moved midweek, have we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's the safest thing you can put a bet on, whether the whether there'll be a fixture change or not each week. Guaranteed money. Guaranteed money by betting, yes, there will be a change. Free money, I think, yeah. <laughs> Well, that concludes our look at the sheeplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League uh, for yet another week. Jack Cooper, thanks very much for your time and very best of luck with your fantasy team for Round 7. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for having me. You are listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, our biggest segment, Coach versus Coach, with Nicole Graves and Lisa Coach Kiwi Roper coming up in just a moment's time as they take a look back at round six of the AFLW. If you'd like to skip forward to interviews at any time or you've come looking for a particular interview for your state league competition, don't forget our state league podcasts are available as mini podcasts. If you go to WARFradio.com and scroll down, you will see the QAFL Women's Women's Footy Report, VFL Women's Footy Report, Sandfall Women's Footy Report, WAFL Women's Footy Report, and NTFL Women's Footy Report. So we'd like you to listen to the more than two hours of content that we have on our flagship Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. But at any stage you want to find a mini podcast, a segment of the program, go to WARFradio.com, click on Podcasts, and scan down the page. Two women's footy legends go head-to-head in Coach versus Coach. Round six has gone by. Let's get two legends of women's footy in the room and find out who is superior when it comes to AFLW tipping. We have in one corner the coach of Gatter and the QAFLW competition in the other, assistant coach of Collingwood in the VFLW and Sandringham Dragons in the NAB League. It's Nicole Graves and Lisa Coach Kiwi Roper. How are you both? 
Fun, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I tried. Yeah, I tried to do something different, but yeah, bump ball. Do you feel like when we get introduced, you want to do, you know, that whole boxing pose thing, you know, a couple of jabs yeah, here and there. That's other, right. Yeah, that's how we roll. Probably doesn't work on the radio, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, the one that's behind by four wants to give an uppercut to the one that's uh, currently chugging oh. along nicely. <laughs> Let's have a look back at uh, round six. Of course, uh, this was a game where you both tipped differently. Gravesy went for the Tigers by two points. Coach Kiwi went for North by 12 points. In the end, it was the Kangaroos 10-7-67, defeating Richmond 5-2-32. I give the floor to this week's winner in Coach Kiwi. Power boom, yeah. It was, um, it was a sellout match, the whole 808 people that uh, could make it along on a glorious Friday afternoon. But I thought I thought Richmond stood up. I thought they um, you know, really took it to uh, north for parts of the game. Um, just in the end, I think north just came out strong. Obviously, the experienced players just um, came and controlled that football a little bit more. And, um, you know, it's, it's it is some exciting young players through Richmond, like, um, you know, young McKenzie did really well. And um, Rebecca down the back, Rebecca Miller, boy, she cut off a whole lot of things. I don't know that she's particularly young, but young to football. Um, and, you know, the, uh, KB through the middle was outstanding. And um, and I guess probably the biggest loss for them wasn't so much school, but, but losing Mon Conti prior to the game starting um, probably was a big chunk there. But um, good to see Jess, Jess Duffin back and um, and just flowing with form as if she never missed a game is um, pretty good to see. But, yeah, North are just too, too strong. I guess if anything, Gravesy, yes, another loss for Richmond, but at least not like some of the other sides, it's not a low score that they're putting on the board. No, it was actually yeah, it was actually pretty good. I think really they kind of broke the tigers early in the game. So all of a sudden, you know, those early goals in the first quarter, you sort of go, oh god, we're in for a big day, a long day today. So it's um, you know, it's always one of those things. You know, the the, the ruse really did get on top early, and and yeah, ultimately, you know, they were plus eighty in the disposals. You know, Kingy was on fire in that in that early part and. So hard to stop in the air with Jazzy Garner, you know, just doing what Jazzy Garner does. But yeah, I thought Ty got some some real sort of movement going in the second half, particularly the third. And um, you know, Stahl was you know full of run and carry. She's excellent, and Bernardi was really good. So you know, they worked really hard until the end, and they got their five goals as a reward. And you know, and you know, ultimately, you know, Ruse Carney just you know she's a bit of a workhorse. She just you know, sort of probably more underrated this season with some of those other stars around her, but she just does what she needs to do to ensure that they you know, get a really good, you know, really good uh, reward up forward. So she does do all that delivery, hard work, both both two way running, you know, in defence and then out through that. So yeah, so it was. I thought it was a really good game actually. You know, by the Tigers, Bruiser, you know, elite outfit. We all know that. We've all spoken about it, but. Yeah, they probably got the jump on them early and it took them probably until the second half to settle. But, you know, as I said, you know, I, I think, you know, Tigers are well improved and, and certainly showing that, you know, what they bring in the most positive sense is really good footy. They've just got to string it all together and there's no doubt that they would know that. And they'll take definite heart out of, you know, the next few games and whatever that result is. Obviously, they're heading up to the 
up to my town, up to the up to Queensland, up to the play the Suns this week. So that'll be a really interesting game. So yeah, I think they'll uh, you know they'll take plenty of confidence out of that ruse game. On Saturday, up in Canberra, we saw the Giants and the Lions. Gravesy went for the Lions by 18 points. Coach Kiwi went for the Lions by 21 points. In the end, the Lions 7-13-55 defeated the GWS Giants 2-5-17. Gravesy, I guess the most pleasing thing to see is Jess Wuchner back getting a bit of the football, particularly after we all read that article during the week about, obviously, the struggles that she's had trying to find herself after that horrific workplace injury last year when she was struck by lightning. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And obviously not playing in a traditional role. And, you know, when you've got, you know, Dakota and 2K and Courtney Hodder, you know, which is just a really perfect little forward line with Hodder sort of streaming through there and giving them a bit of that, you know, that, you know, Indigenous magic there where you're not really sure where it's going to go. She's, you know, Hodder's just a ripping young person. And, and, you know, said with the Twin Towers up there, you know, it doesn't really lend itself to, I guess, you know, a Wooshner playing that small forward role that she's played in the last few years. So, you know, it shows the evolution of, you know, of the team with, you know, both um, Jesse Wardlaw and Dakota um, Davison and, and Hodder, all young players, you know, that next generation of forward line. So that was really impressive. Um, so, yeah, so, and Ellie Anderson and Bates here just having a ripping season, those two through the mid. So they give them heaps. Yeah, and we talk about, you know, Lions defence. It's so uh, impressive, you know, in terms of that sort of stuff. And I don't know, you know, we go, mm, I looked at the free kick count, which is, you know, generally you know, not necessarily what, but, you know, it was six free kicks to 21. Now, I'm not a, you know, umpire basher, but it's either, um, you know, either the GWS had, were really undisciplined or the umpires may have had, you know, you know keen maroon socks on. So that was an interesting stat. That's a huge amount. So... Um, but yeah, it was really good to see Smitty back out there. I think it was now his second game for, and you know, getting a goal. So someone that's played a lot of defence at AFLW level, getting a goal. So good on you, Smitty. Well done on that. Biso, you know, was he's always staunch in the leisure, even you know, twenty two possessions. So I thought that was pretty good. So you know, <clears throat> a lot of the score lines were these, um, you know, not necessarily sort of. I, I guess Lions aren't a traditional footy state either, but. You know, Giants have some other barriers to their recruitment sort of strategy and they have, you know, a reasonable amount of turnover where Lions have been quite settled and been able to bring in local talent. Um, so, yeah, so actually the I'm speaking about the good Queensland weather, the wind's just come in, so I might have to go inside. I wasn't sitting on the deck, but I might have to go inside now because I'm blowing me off the deck now. So, yeah, maybe that cyclone's coming down from up north, so I'll, uh, I'll leave you. Leave that with you, Kiwi, while I go inside and get out of this wind. I don't know if that's coming through. So, sorry, listeners, if that's coming through the phone like it's blowing through me now at the moment. <laughs> Coach Kiwi, your giants, be... what, what's going on? Um, yeah, that could be the Collingwood cyclone on its way to Brisbane. Um, yeah, look, um, <laughs> the, the um, disposals were pretty even through the both, both teams. And um, I guess one of the, you know, apart from the free kick stat, the, a real telling stat was your um, inside 50s. Um, Brisbane had 48 to Giants 19. And Marks and 50, you know, with Brisbane had seven to Giants three. So, you know, you're not going to get shots at goal unless you really get that ball and deep inside your 50, really. Um, and Giants won a lot more hit outs 
I just don't think they're getting enough or quality first use of that football. So a few areas that they definitely need to polish um, around the field. And I think some of the pace of uh, the Giants as they get out and go wide, I think the um, Giants got beaten by pace around the outside. But, um, you know, Alan is obviously working to a plan and he felt that they uh, were better at executing the plan in the weekend's game against Lions than they were the week before. So hopefully that's building for something so their last three games they can uh, bring it home and uh, finish on a bit of a high. But, yeah, there's uh, definitely a bit of a bit of work to do um, for the Giants on that, on that regard. Then we had the Adelaide Crows and the Gold Coast Suns. Gravesy went for the Crows by 40 points. Coach Kiwi went for the Crows by 26 points. If we add them together, it still doesn't get to the margin. The Adelaide Crows defeated the Gold Coast Suns by 70 points. Coach Kiwi, the Adelaide Crows, again, since that loss against Fremantle, they're just getting angrier. They are paying out on teams and the whispers starting to go around. If the pie stumble, will the Crows get to the top spot? Adelaide Oval, 50,000 again. Will it happen? Yeah, look, you know, the Crows have got quality players all around the field. And, um, you know, again, it wasn't completely one-sided in the disposal tally. Um, Crows had 2.45 to Suns 2.30. But I think it's the way they use it. And, you know, they're, they're really efficient ball users. They can hit up the shore. They're in there with the hands and they link up really, really well when they get on the field. And then you've got some outstanding, you know, key players who can take those contested marks. You know, Aaron Phillips, um, Kelsey Randall, they're, they're just such quality players through the air. And then they're backed up with the likes of Hatchard and Stevie Lee and Marinoff who, who bring you run and carry. So, um, yeah, they're, they're just a quality unit. And I think probably uh, Gravesy and me were probably being a little bit generous towards the Suns. But um, I don't know. I think your Crows were something like, were they two points off breaking the actual AFLW record, yes. I think? Um, so, you know, the, they probably let themselves down by not achieving that. You know, let's just raise a bar. <laughs> Crazy for the Gold Coast Suns. I, I guess where to here for for the remainder of the season that they will not make the finals. Is it a case of maybe throw the game plan out the window, just bring in all the youngsters and just let them run, hope for a few touches, get a bit of experience in, and focus on twenty twenty two? It is a little bit like that. I'm not sure if the game plan wasn't thrown out before the start of the season. It's a weird sort of thing, but <clears throat> you know those. I just want to shout out the early injuries with. Dano and Nicky Gore, you know, two quality players out very early in the game. So, you know, and certainly gave, you know, some at times gives, you know, gives her teams, you know, a bit of direction. So that was probably a little bit of that. Weirdly enough, and obviously I know, you know, Suns are a little bit more intri- intrinsically than, than most. So I thought the Suns actually played better. And I know that sounds weird when you're looking at a scoreline like that. Um but they matched them in lots of areas. You know, there wasn't the extremes that you might have seen in there. But, you know, Crows are just, they're just so dominant, you know, in terms of, you know, they're really hard to beat. You know, Ponta kicks four goals, she kills it. You know, the Crows forward line again, they're just flying. And they've got so many avenues to goal with the likes of, yep, you've got Aaron Phillips and Chelsea Randall, and then you've got Ponta popping up with four, and then you've still got some of their running mids kicking goals in there. So, yeah, it's, <clears throat> yeah, you take nothing away from Crows, but if you want to sort of take some things 
for the Suns moving forward, they they played better footy. Like they played a quality oppo and they played better footy. Um, you know, Spud Sermon was sort of getting back to her best, you know, having a bit more impact on the game with 22 um, possessions. And, and um, yeah, Adreno just keeps, you know, busting herself. So she's been such a, a good player for the Suns. And it's really just, you know, not having that second rut, Ruckman <clears throat> with um, young Maddie Levi out. But, I and I, again, because, you know, like any team, you know, teams differently. So, you know, I see young Lucy Single, you know, just racking up, the possessions and even Tori um, Graves Little that came in for her first game this season, she looks fitter, she looks stronger, and she you know had a really dominant defensive type game. So you know, so there's some really nice things there for Suns moving forward, and you know they'll look at their list, you know, at the end of the, sort of all of this and go right, where where do we need to build? And I think they've got some quality young players in there and some senior players that can still take them forward. And you see the likes of Sally Riley and a couple of those other older players come back in, um, you know, and they do give them a little bit more direction. So, yeah, but, you know, the, the Crows are just uh, amazing. There's no doubt about it. And I thought Stevie Lee, you know, she's just, a, she's so wicked player. She's, you know, she's a great licking player to that forward. You know, 17 possessions, you know, a little bit off half back, but, you know, she's still able to get forward when, when her time is right. And doesn't get sucked in there, but goes through there with her run and carry and still manages to kick a goal. So, you know, that's the quality of play that the Crows have got. And, and you're right, they got that little kick in the pants earlier in the season. And, and like I was sort of saying the last couple of weeks, you know, sometimes some of these teams do need a little kick in the pants to remind them this competition, you know, that top six is going to be a really good top six. And the top four are even better and the top two are even better. So, But anyone on their day seems to be able to, you know, we've seen them sort of all with a bit of ups and downs. Now, I think Collingwood are the only team undefeated, but, you know, they've, they've really got some matchups to come up in the in the coming weeks if everything goes well with our little COVID, you know, fixture and, and how much that moves and all the catch word is pivots. So, yeah, so it'll be interesting in the next few weeks who's playing who and, and what, you know, comes out of all of that. So, yeah, but... Yeah, you know, as I said, so yeah, Crow's amazing, but I thought there was still some really positive signs for Suns in terms of where they're going in the future, Pete, as you as you sort of said, and that's where you're really looking. Get some games into the young kids over the next few weeks, see what sort of list you want to build for 2022, and and you know, it's all it's all positive in terms of you know where they want to go, and you know they're looking at they're you know trying to keep some Queensland talent in there, and you know I think some perhaps some of their interstaters. You know, maybe maybe weren't ideal, and um, yeah, and I think they'll assess all of that as well. Melbourne nine twelve sixty six defeated St Kilda three four twenty two. You both went for the D's by fourteen points. Gravesy, not just a win, but an important percentage booster for Melbourne out of that game because they're stuck in a bit of a traffic jam with the Bulldogs, North, and even Carlton around them. They're, they're kind of all fighting for that fifth and sixth spot in the top six. Yeah, well, as I said, there's, you know, it's interesting around all of that space because that's what we we're saying. That top six are quality, and any any of them really on the day can can bring something special. And there's some different games that teams match up on, you know, better and worse. And yeah, so it was again, you know, yeah, Melbourne were just, you know, they, they were plus. 50 in their uncontested 
possession, which means they really controlled the game. You know, Tyler Hank showed really why. Yeah, you know, it was a real toss up between uh, probably her and Maddie Press Barker. They're very like liking players, and um, you know, so her twenty two was it was impressive. You know, Daisy up forward. It's interesting, isn't it? Daisy goes up forward against the old uh, against the old coach, and I suppose Daisy know Pete Searle's defensive strategies more than probably anyone. So that was interesting that she went forward and really gave Melbourne some some direction. The Melbourne teams and direction. She is that leader that just leads almost um, unconsciously, I guess, in the in the players' minds of uh, in the Melbourne players' minds, I should say. So that was, um, yeah, that sort of really stretched Pete's sort of, I guess, defensive strategies. That's how I felt um, in terms of that sort of thing. And, um, and you know, Lauren Pierce, how good is she as a ruck when the ruck's getting 22 possessions? You know, a lot of the rucks might get, you know, might get 10 or 12 and that's a really good game because they're getting hit-ups and they're getting contested and they might do some rebounds. But... 22 possessions as a ruckman is, is pretty impressive. So she's definitely, I reckon, the most dominating ruck around the field at AFLW this season so far. You know, some of are dominating in the ruck as their, you know, as their core trade, but Lauren Pierce is just getting plenty of the footy too. So it really shows, you know, Melbourne at any time can beat the best. There's no doubt about it in my mind. So they've just got to make sure they, they stay in touch like every other... Season, if they stay in touch, they're certainly going to have serious impact, uh, you know, in the coming in the coming weeks and certainly in finals. And if we, Coach Kiwi, take a look at this game and Lauren Pierce's game and how outstanding it was, is she? Does she have maybe the slight edge on Emma King for AFLW All Australian Ruck? Yeah, it's um, interesting. I would say she is. I think she's uh, a lot more consistent. Emma King. Um, she's kicked a couple of goals already this season. She didn't get one on uh, Saturday night, but she's, I think, just if you look at her genuine attributes and what she brings to a game, I would pick her over King. I just think she's much more mobile. Um, she's great at even ground balls. I think she still um, clocks up about four or five tackles as well, which is um, no mean feat for Ruckman. Um, but yeah, I just think you know, her ground coverage and her commitment, and you know her the way she racks up those disposals. Yeah, I think she is the number one um, ruck in the competition right now. And I think um, even outside of Emma King, I think Rhiannon Metcalf is probably the other one that's knocking on the door a little bit as well. And maybe perhaps Rhiannon Watt will be the other one. But um, yeah, I think it was more of a case of. Um, um, the apprentice stepping up to the master a little bit on um, Saturday night with obviously Jane Lange is on the coaching panel for Melbourne and and uh, probably learned a fair bit off Pete Searle in the days when she was a player and Pete was a coach down at Darabin and um, and I think she yeah absolutely flipped things around and um, you know and and perhaps that's exactly what Gracie said is with the likes of Daisy and Paxi they know Pete's style and Pete's um, way that she sets up her team so. Um, I thought I just thought they're outstanding. I think Daisy's the kind of player you can play at any end of the field, and um, she's going to contribute. But she was solid. I think she kicked two goals, one, and without a doubt, could have got two, you know, at least one more. But just her way that she distributes the ball and she sets up her teammates is just quite phenomenal to watch. And um, she's just a very tidy player the way she goes about her craft. And 
Um, I really enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy that the goals were down the opposite end to where I was sitting. But um, such is life on the big football overs. Um, but, yeah, I think for uh, St Kilda, you know, you had some really good contributors to the ball with Patrikios. Cat Phillips was solid across um, sort of the wing in the back sort of area. And Hannah Priest was pretty good. And they all had 17 possessions. So um, younger, small players, and I think they'll come into it. Um, probably their big players, you know, Greiser and Sheila didn't get too much footy away, so it didn't have too much of an impact. Um, but, you know, uh, there's, there's things that, you know, definitely some positive things that um, Pete can work on with her team and, um, you know, and and look forward to the next three games and, and sort of polish some of that. But, yeah, um, yeah, I really enjoyed watching yeah, Tyler Hanks, as you mentioned before. She was just solid. But, and Shelley Scott's probably another one that sort of floats around that half-forward line. Doesn't usually pick up the key defender, and I think that gives it a little bit of freedom to set other players up. But, um, yeah, the, the use of the ball going forward, Demons just – do it so well and so tidy. It was good to see. Let's have a look at Sunday football. You both went for Carlton. Grace, you went for Carlton by 63 points. Coach Kerry went for Carlton by 46 points. It was a little bit closer than that. In the end, the Blues winning by 33 points. But Coach Kiwi, like Frankenstein's monster, it's alive! Carlton are still a chance <laughs> at the finals. Yeah. Oh, look, I know it. I thought the cat started solidly and this is probably something that um, the Blues are not known to start a game well but they you know the Cats did it they got on the board early but they actually just looked like they were competing and other games they seem to be just second to the ball a lot of times and just perhaps not really fully committed whereas you know this game against Carlton they did look a little bit more competing towards that football and wanting to win it um, so a little bit more hungrier. Uh, Carlton, you know, obviously good to have Matty P back and, you know, Darcy had a big impact going forward. Um, I do like the looks of young Serena Gibbs. I know it's only her second game and she kicked a goal. She's one of our young Eastern Rangers kids, but if you watch her on the field, she's actually in there. She's directing her teammates and, you know, she's creating the space or she's got the really solid body work against her opponent and, for a young player, I just think it's outstanding. She's she's really quite new to football. I think this is probably only about a third or fourth season of actually playing Aussie rules. So um, it's just good to see young players taking on that kind of responsibility when they come into the game. So um, fantastic to the coaches at Carlton that have you know given her that confidence and responsibility on the field. And um, you know, well done to Gibbo for stepping up. But yeah, it was good to see. And Gravesy, obviously you follow Carlton uh, very passionately. We saw coming into this game, uh, Harris was managed as well as Walker. Um, with Harris out, did you notice much of a change to the forward line? Because obviously we had uh, Gibbs kick two, Vessio kick two, G kick two, goals to Stevens, Pound, Presparkus and Blaine. Did that change the way they had their forward entries? Well, it probably made them not look for that focal target. You know, it, you know Taylor is such a dominant forward. She leads really hard and, you know, and she's a very good contested mark. You know, she has her ups and downs and it's probably, you know, what people talk about is her consistency. So I guess they had to stand up, but it also opens it up, I guess, for players rather than looking for that target, they actually run and carry a little bit more. And those players that you've sort of been talking about are quite fast. So they might take that extra bounce and actually have a shot themselves rather than perhaps going, oh, I won't take that bounce and I'm just going to deliver it up. 
and put it on the head of, of Taylor Harris. And when you've got dominant defence, it's very hard. You know, she's always in a contested marking situation very often. So, yeah, so it's, it was an interesting uh, strategy. And, and they certainly didn't, you know, sort of lose anything. They really covered the, the loss of, you know, um, the T train up there, you know, considerably. So with those multiple goal kickers, which, you know, gives opportunity at all times. As I said, the Blues still won, but I don't know if, you know, some teams have really dominated the Cats and, and you know, I, I don't know if the Blues necessarily dominated like some of the others. Now, that may, you know, be the Cats sort of pulling it together and that, that in, you know, I note that Geelong had more players in double-digit disposals than any other game that they probably had this season, which shows they're giving a bit more consistency across the group. So, yeah, that was a real positive for Geelong, um, I thought Rocky had it a bit more again in terms of Carl. Yeah, I think she's having her best season since 2017. The impact that she's having, not just up forward, but her impact on the footy and her impact around her teammates. And she, yeah, she's much loved at Carlton. And they, and they do get up and about when Darcy's up and about because they, you know, she's such an amazing um, diverse athlete, you know, it's not just the the mark she takes, but the way she turns players inside out. And she's got, you know, she's a little bit elastic bandy, so she does a little bit of you know crazy stuff that really actually gets her team going. So it was, you know, that was great to see by uh, by DV there. And, and we talk about Maddie Pressbark coming in. Twenty eight disposals is is nothing to sneeze at at all. So she gets plenty of the footy, and and she certainly uses it. I did notice her you know, a bit of an elbow injury that she sustained and she's had a little bit of trouble with her elbow over the, the past few years. So that'll be interesting to see how she comes up there. And, yeah, so, you know, as I said, Carlton are, you know, giving themselves the opportunity and, and yes, you know, a 33-point game is, is dominant. But I, there were some really positive signs for the Cats and I, I, I'm hoping that, that the Cats identifying some and tweaking some of the, you know, some of the deficiencies they've had in the in the coming weeks, and not sort of Carlton, you know, yeah, there and abouts, and and you know, if they make the finals, actually being able to have a red hot go if um if they make the finals. So yeah, interesting game in terms, you know, if you really analyse the game in terms of the outcomes for for both teams. So the game at Victoria Park, Gravesy went for the Dogs by five points. Coach Kiwi went for the Pies by eight points. I hate to say cliches, but it was a game of two halves. The Bulldogs with their noses in front at halftime and then the Pies blowing them off the park in the second half. Uh, Gravesy, uh, what happened? Yeah, I know. Well, I was like, oh, I might have, I might have this. You know, I've got copped a bit of copped a bit of grief on the uh on the in the Twitter sphere about my two little offies, but but I did have a good giggle at that. And it was really just, you know, the two teams that I think have been playing really good footy and, and you know, and have people that I, you know, really like and admire playing for them. So, you know, sometimes I do that on the tips, you know. If, it was, if the tips were the 100 grand, mate, I might be a bit more diligent. But at the end of the day, I, you know, we would just want to see good footy games and I want to see players that, um, you know, that I've, I guess, you know, been part of their journey or, or, or just really admire yeah, doing well. So I guess some of my tips sometimes reflect that. But yeah, the dogs are really, you know, it's a cliche, but really yapping at the early in it was, and I was like, ooh, half time. But they were never really super convincing. That it was like the pies were kind of, yeah, just waiting about, maybe treading a little bit of water, um, and yeah, and then just switched into gear. And you know, pre Davy twenty eight, just spoke. It was like she was just, she's she's just 
killing it this year. It's so impressive to see Bree, as I said, super fit. And look, the Pies are super fit. You know, they're playing as a team. You know, they're just, they're just playing such good footy. They're really good to watch. It's a bit like the Crows. They're just great footy teams to watch when they're, when they're doing that. And I, I sort of looked at the, you know, I'm a big fan of, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, but it's nice to get 28 disposals. But if your efficiency is at 33%, it kind of means you've kicking it to them twice and us only once. So you sort of consider well, which, which jumper you're actually wearing. But, and this would have to be, this would have to be close to a record. The disposal efficiency of, of Collingwood, over the whole game, which was pretty hard to do, was 71%. And, like, that's impressive. You know, that's super impressive, I reckon, even at AFLM level. So it was really, yeah, so I was like, oh, that's an interesting little piece of little chestnut there that I, I like. And I'm a big fan of efficiency. So there's no use doing all the work and then just shanking it. So, you know, so that was um, that sort of really showed the pie's dominance. Um, you know, they're getting it you know, rather than, you know, one out of three, they're getting it, you know, you know, two and two and a bit, three out of four, whatever it is, seven eighths, whatever it's going. So they're play, playing really dominant footy, and really for you know what we saw in terms of of, uh, of the dogs is, you know, Blackburn and Lamb were dominant, um, but the rest were yeah, so so. So they didn't have more than sort of those two players that were super dominant. Whereas past week you've seen others pop up. Izzy Huntington and and um, Too Good and stuff like that really having more dominance. So I think that was probably the difference in the game. And you sort of knew even at halftime with the dogs being that slightly up that, yeah, it wasn't just enough. You know, it wasn't enough to going to be stopping, you know, that that uh, that hurricane that seems to be, the you know, the Pies in 2021. So, yeah, the Pies, are, they're super impressive. And as I said, like the Crows, when they're on fire, they're just beautiful to watch. So, yeah, ripping game. But, uh, yeah, the Pies are awesome. Coach Kiwi, the uh, Pies inaccurate in front of goal in the first half. Was it anxiety that they've realised that they'll actually have to jump on a plane this year? <laughs> um, no, they're probably actually looking forward to the to the trip away and um, and some warmer weather, I think, is uh, <laughs> what they're talking about. Uh, perhaps a bit of uh, suntan, especially those Irish in the team, they love a good suntan. Um, but, you yeah, know, I think it was just more of a case of they perhaps rushed their shots at goal um, early in the game and they, you know, just lacked a little bit of composure around their forward 50 area. And I, I think the tackle pressure was just huge from both sides. I think you know, what we saw was some really good defence and some really good transitioning. And then the Pies were able to get it into the inside 50, whereas I thought Bulldogs probably struggled a little bit to get some quality ball uh, inside. And um, and it looked to me like there's probably a couple of more, uh, probably more the older players that just go for a little bit of the cheap shots. And and it's just like, you know, when, if, you, if you start to focus on hitting someone off the ball, then I think that takes away your focus and your impact in the game. And, and, you know, whether they were, you know, a bit telling later on because those two players, I thought, didn't have much of an impact at all um, later on, whereas the players that they wanted to hit cheaply, you know, kind of did, you know, stand up and perhaps needed that little bit of fire in their belly to come out and play harder. But, you know, I think right now the, the Collingwood back five are just, just all of them, are playing so well and so solid in their roles. And, you know, even the youngsters like Lauren Butler and Alana Porter, they're, 
they've got important jobs to do and I think they're just standing up week after week and doing it. And then you've got, you know, Ruby Schleiser who's just out had an outstanding season, backed up with Alan and um, sometimes Erica comes back or, you know, and Livingston's across there. It's just really hard to penetrate, you know, a defensive side when, when there's no weakness. All of them are just playing really good quality football. And, and then you go, you know, you send the ball onto that midfield and you've got, you know, that speed that Alicia Newman has is just incredible. Um, and then Bonici runs with her and, um, and their efficiency, as we talked about, the efficiency throughout, when you look at how many times Brianna Davies gets a ball and can hit up someone, anyone, anywhere is, is amazing. And let alone some of the, um, you know, really incredible marks that she takes or contested marks. Um, and then, you know, the forward line is growing great guns and, you know, I'm sure everyone in the whole suburb of Abbotsford and Collingwood and, probably all around Clifton and Thornbury heard Shani Layton <laughs> cheering when she kicked that goal. Um, but, you know, she's just such a character of the team. And, um, you know, and, and the flip side of that is, you know, as Grace, you said, you know, we didn't see Huntington or Too Good have much of an impact in the game. And McLeod was great and Lamb was great. Um, but so, one of the youngsters, um, Sarah Hartwig, has had a really good start to her AFLW career. I thought there was a lot of pressure on her and she turned over the ball a lot more than we've seen before. So I think that just sort of shows the kind of pressure that was against the defensive side of Bulldogs that they just didn't have that time to get the ball out and deliver some good ball up the field. So, um, you know, that's just credit to the pressure that Collingwood are providing as a team all the way out the field. And, um, you know, and their disposal count, I think they had something like about 70 more possessions than Bulldogs. So, um, you know, and, and to have 70 more and then come up with that stat of 71% efficiency is pretty phenomenal and just sort of shows where they're going, um, you know, on their sort of tangent towards the top, I guess. Even though they're top of the ladder right now, I think they're just still every week improving and getting stronger and better. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a good game next week, without a doubt. But I think um, Colin would have just, yeah, Proving, proving why the top of the ladder at the moment, I feel. And the final game of the round was uh, the WA Derby 2.0. Of course, due to uh, the COVID border restrictions, we had uh, a second derby, which is very unusual in a short season. The last time around when it was rain coming down, the Eagles weren't too far away from pulling off an upset. Uh, Coach Kiwi, this time, uh, big sister put little sister in her place. Fremantle, 11.975, crushing the West Coast Eagles, 1.28. And I should point out, both of you tipped Frio. Uh, you tipped Frio by 21 points. Grapes, you tipped Frio by 48. <laughs> it's a lot of cricket, isn't it? I, don't... I reckon I should get bonus points for getting closer to the pin because I reckon I'm closer <laughs> to the pin on the results. Because, you know, Kiwi's a bit conservative. She's like, doesn't, wants to offend everyone and then doesn't want to offend them, like, on the scoreboard. Like, you know, she rips into coaches, she rips into GWS. <laughs> she doesn't back her own footy team at Collingwood. I mean, honestly. <laughs> I think, yeah, no, because we wanted West Coast to get up, didn't we? Um, but, yeah, no. Yeah. And I think at <laughs> you, one you point, might have. I'm sure. I'm sure during the game, Grazy was on the edge of his seat thinking that West Coast were going to beat Sun's record. <laughs> well, I've actually been praying for that all year. You know, when North Melbourne didn't kick a goal, I'm like, oh, gee whiz. <laughs> so, yeah, so no, I've been watching those scores. That's actually been my 
yeah, when I'm watching the really, you know, one-sided games, I'm like, oh, listen, two points, listen, two points. Yeah, no. They just seem to, the other teams are just not doing me any favours. They just let them get one goal and then it's like, oh, I could have got even, even then. But, yeah, so it is what it is. Who's yeah. first, Pete? Uh, that would Mate, be Coach Kiwi. Thanks for stepping in. No, get on it, Kiwi. Come on. <laughs> How can I get a word? Um, look, you know, I think we, yeah, everyone knew Frio were going to um, dominate this game, and dominate they did. And you, you felt for West Coast in many areas, but I thought they showed some fight, and they showed some fight throughout the whole game, right down to those last few minutes. Um, but yeah, you know, just have a look at the stats, and you can see how one-sided it is. That, West Coast had zero marks inside 50. And, you know, it takes a heck of a tailwind to get a goal from outside that 50 or, you know, a heck of a lot of speed to run around and get it in. And they got one goal towards the end of the game, but um, Frio had 15 marks inside 50 and um, from 37 inside 50. So it's... um, just shows Frio just willing to bring that ball up. They've got some great pace all around. Um, they've got the players that are willing to fly. Like I don't know how many times Roxy Rue just flew in the air. Sometimes she got it, sometimes she didn't. But she, she the kid just <laughs> flies. Um, what about the high highlights reel? Exactly. Um, But yeah, Freya had 29 clearances to 16. So they're just working the ball really, really well through that middle and then just take it down. And, you know, the speeds that they got, um, Horton was excellent to watch. And, um, you know, I I just, I don't know where West Coast can improve. I I know they've probably got a game coming up. They're going to aim towards getting, um, you know, their first, was it the second one this year? Um, but it's it's just you know they're they're just losing when you look at these bottom teams they're just losing that sort of um, clutch to the teams that are in the middle of the ladder or especially the top six and um, you know it's it's a lot of work they've got to do and it's more than just missing out on Dana Hooker it's um, it's perhaps you know around the way that they're structuring up through that midfield and the way they're trying to win these contested balls it's, um, you know it's a bit of work to be done for WA because I think they're a very strong state with their football and they're coming against a team that really should play a pretty similar style of football um, but they're just, you know, there's such a huge gap between the two teams. Crazy, the highs and lows of life. The week before, the Eagles celebrating that win over the Suns and then back to reality. It is a bit like that. I, I, I sort of thinking about Kiwi's comments there and, you know, at the end of the day, West Australian football is, yes, is very strong, but if look around the teams around Australia and look at the West Australian talent. We, we've talked about Emma King's dominance uh, now at uh, at North. Well, there's West Australian. Now, Stabs is obviously West Australian. Chelsea Randall is a West Australian. You know, uh, you know, there's so many West Australians running around in other teams. So it's more, you know, it's not, it's, and I think this is similar with Geelong and even and even Gold Coast Suns and the Eagles. It becomes list management. How do these teams, you know, try to get the best players out of the draft when, you know, it's still state-based draft? So they are still restricted on getting that really elite Victorian talent that are, are really, you know, their pathways, and, and I'm certainly not being biased because obviously I've been involved in the pathways in, in many of the states. So, 
you know, that they just have a critical mass in Victoria and the NAB Cup League is, you know, is producing some of these absolute superstars. So they're just getting greater access to, to yeah, to different programming and, and I wouldn't say better necessarily, but, you know, I look at the, you know, the, the talent pathway here in Queensland, it's very different to the Victorian talent pathway and even the Western Australian talent pathway. So everyone's at different stages of their, I guess, of their pathway development. And, and so therefore, until it's open, it's an open draft and it's not a state-based draft, you're not going to get any equality in these lists because they can't entice um, players to the far end of, you know, Queensland or, you know, it's probably easier for Queensland teams than it is for Western Australian teams because it's a significant move. Um, and they're significant, and same with GWS, it's a significant cost of, cost of life in Sydney, I guess, in, in moving there and living there and, and all that sort of stuff. So really it becomes not necessarily coaching issues. It, it comes down to list management issues and access to these young stars, you know, Amity Press Parkers, Tyler Hanks, Patricia, some of these superstars we're talking about that were Victorian, these other states are never going to get access to those types of players until it's an open draft and, and until players are full-time. So that's, you know, the inequality of, of part-time AFLW football in comparison to AFLM where the best draft picks, draft choices really don't, the best draft kids don't get a choice. They go to the team they're drafted to because, you know, they're getting paid the same amount at whatever club and they have, you know, such better structure around, you know, living away from home and setups and stuff. So it's, it's really not to do with coaching and, and a lot of those other things. It's really got to do with the inequality of state-based drafts, really. So, sorry, I'll get off my bandwagon on that. And let's talk about Dockers. How bloody good were they? Ebbs Antonio, 23 disposals. But when you've got you know, Gemma Houghton kicking five, Duffy kicking three, Rocky Roo kicking two, you know, you're just living the dream. Um, so, you know, and then yet, like, Bowers and the two Antonios, 65 disposals between the three of them. You know, it's that, but, you know that's, you know, that'd be, if I look at the West Coast Eagles list, that's like 12 of their players added up to that. So they did it in three people. So... You know, it was it was real dominance, and um, and as I said, it's not it's not an Eagles coaching, it's not an Eagles structure problem, it's an Eagles list problem, um, because they can't get access to the players, and Dockers have had access to the best Western Australian talent, um, you know, a couple of years before West Coast got in there. So as I said, you know, sometimes we we might throw coaches under the bus like Hoodie down at Geelong, but. Geelong's even even only down the road, and they still don't get access to the talent of the big clubs in Melbourne. So, yeah, that's sort of thing. In terms of West Coast Eagles, you know, geez, the Irish girls—they're killing it, aren't they? You know, McCarthy and the Kelly sisters. I mean, the Kelly sisters had thirty-two between them, and um, Alex McCarthy twenty-two. I think um, you know, so they're certainly Irish contingent. They'd be loving the highlights over there of those particular teams on the Gaelic whatever it is, Gaelic <laughs> AFL show. Um, and Mickey Bowen, um, you know, a harder day at the office. And you know, this is the sort of thing of the West, so many Western Australians playing in there. Mickey Bowen's, you know, mentors were the, you know, were all the players I've just yelled out. You know, the Antonios, Gemma Houghton, they were all Swan Districts players. So they, if they're going to know how to stop a kid, it's going to be that way. You know, they, there's such history in, in some of those, you know, players and, you know, senior players with the younger players in WA. So, yeah. It's always a learning curve, but um, yeah, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just blaming 
how we how the game is is always going to be uneven until we have an open draft for some of these state state teams. You know what? You know what I think is if you were a list manager, you would go and find these kids that are just finishing school this year and starting the university um, for next year and chat to your local university or whatever subject or course they're doing and try and do a deal where, you know, say for Sydney they can come up and they go to UNSW or um, or one of the, you know, so you give them a bit of support that way and encourage them to leave Victoria if, you know, if you don't have, like obviously Sydney doesn't have a lot of good depth during their, their young talent coming through. So, yeah, I'd be out there and, you know, chatting with them and seeing who you can convince to go and, you know, you never know. They might have a relative in another town that could um, help them out with accommodation or uh, family support if they did leave state. So I just think, you know, the conversation is worth having if you, you know, if you really are genuine about getting the best talent to your team, go and ask some questions. Go and chat to the players. And, you know, the under-19 tournament's coming up in the Gold Coast in about four or five weeks. So, you know, Gold Coast is coming to you. Get your talent scouts out there, <laughs> pull the players aside and have a chat with them and, mm. um, you know, and see what would it take to get these kids out of Victoria. They might be yeah. a young surfer like Catherine Smith who's, you know, taken surfboard and gone to Sydney for two years. So there's got to be, you know, ways around if you can look after them um, on and off the field to get some of that talent to um, bolster the squads. Yeah, I agree, Kiwi. As I said, there's ways and means of doing it, but it needs to be a priority. So, yes, you've got your local talent and how much do you nurture and support that? And I think there's a really good balance of doing both of that. And, yeah, identifying what you need and really working hard to get it. And Melbourne clubs are doing that because they're fighting each other. So they're Mm. doing it not necessarily in a relocation geographical sense, but they're doing it in an ASA, you know, all the ways that they can – do it to entice players you know, to and from other clubs. So, yeah, I, I certainly agree. But, you know, clubs, interstate clubs, you need to, you know, really understand it and make sure they have connection with these these players, not a 15-minute interview on, you know, on why they're doing the combine, but a really, as you say, university. What is their background? Where is their family background? So it's really actually understanding the relationships within that to, to get these young players um, over the line, you know. I'm at an ammo club and I've got I've got players from around Australia at state league level because it's you know, it's learning those things on how do you engage young people and their families to, to you know, to do something different, not just go to the big you know, the big six or seven clubs in, in Victoria, but how do we get them and make their life easier and their footy better. So yeah, I, I completely agree. So there's there's a whole conversation as we're just having because Pete obviously never runs his footy show. We really do, Kiwi. Um, so yeah, there's a whole conversation around that around that space that is really really important. Um, yeah, because it's still we're still a way off from full time athletes, and we're probably still a little way off um, an open draft. But that's you know they're the barriers that throws up for every team. Just yeah, and before. I just think you know for females footy. We really do start putting them into top level at the age of 18, 19, fresh out of school. Whereas for the boys, they probably, most of them would get a year or two um, training with the senior squad before they get those games. So I think, yeah, the opportunity is there. Yeah, they get thrown, get thrown under the bus really quickly at top of your level. <laughs> right now, you're drafted and first game. I think, uh, what was it? 
Michaela Hyde had, what, two days before, oh, yep, you've been drafted, you've <laughs> oh, yeah. had an injury, you've been drafted, oh, and you're playing on the weekend. <laughs> so there's your preparation at AFL where you're exactly right. Unless they're sort of, an, you know, that, that ready-made, maybe number one or two draft pick that goes in early, the rest of them really are, you know, one or two seasons away. And it's why Go I'm. On, Pete, have a shot. I was going to say, and it's why I'm not in the show credits. Um, before we have a look at round seven, just just a quick question to the both of you, since you since you've been talking about um, the Eagles, and you could probably throw the Suns in the same question. They're the they're the two weaker teams out of those states where the teams that have been there longest, Fremantle and Brisbane Lions, are uh, both flying along at the moment. Do you think going back to the year prior, the introduction of the two new teams? there actually should have been a redraft in both of those states, as in all Lions and all Dockers players all go back into the pool. So instead of trying to do recruiting one player here, there and everywhere, an actual genuine state-based draft to try and as evenly as possible split that talent up, considering the competition's still fairly young. No. Yeah, I don't agree. You can't spend, yeah, three years or... Yeah, was it three seasons? Yeah, three yeah. seasons building a team and putting those resources and your time and effort into a group of, of players, young and senior, and then all of a sudden another team goes along and they and they rip all that out and go, right, we'll just share it around. It's We're not, you know, it's not under 12. It is just not sharing, caring. You know, these are, these are teams that want to win footy games and want to win premierships. And, you know, yes, you know, women's footy is, has still got that, that wonderful element in it that, um, you know, is still very caring. But, you know, when they get on the footy footy field, there's no caring. They want to win. So, no, nah, that, that that would never work, and, and I don't think it's fair. It's not fair on the clubs. It's not fair on the players. It's not fair on the resources of, of the club. So, it'd be not, you know, it's nice in a pretty world to say that, but, yeah, definitely not. And yeah, I kind of, I know, shock horror. I would agree with Grady on that one. Um, but, you know, those teams also had was it six they could pick anyway so you know they did have the opportunity to pick the six best and I think that's where you come back to your list manager and you look at exactly what kind of style of football and what kind of of style of player or player that you want to um you know to be able to play that and I think that's exactly what Scotty Gowans did when he set up north is he had his way that he wanted to structure that team and he went and got players that could fulfill that structure and you know and for years we've spoken about how strong North are and perhaps haven't quite um, you know come out and shown um, or played as good as we all think they are but you know there's obviously some talent there and he you know he picked a very quick team and and that's what these list managers need to sit down with the coaches and work out what kind of player do you really actually need to come back and play that style of football that you want to um, do at your club. So yeah. um, They also need to sit down with the finance department because putting together teams <laughs> like that doesn't actually just come out of, you know, free love and mung beans, mate. It comes out of, you know, dollars and imaginationary dollars and contra and everything else like that. So, yeah, and, and North Melbourne, are, you, know, are, are, you know, in terms of that, that next lot of teams that have come in, they're the only ones that have really dominated if you really think about it, you know, Richmond sort of, Richmond, obviously Richmond Saints and um, Eagles came in later, but it was Geelong and that, and you look where Geelong is now and North are up and about. So, you know, the North, Scotty Gowan's um, strategy was, 
was was spot on, really, because they're actually matching it with those top teams that have been in since year one, whereas those other teams really aren't anywhere near it. And then obviously we then look at the the next lot of teams coming in, um, and you know, and they're not really near it either. So you know, you're seeing signs of where they're going to be and what they, <clears throat> excuse me, and what they're trying to build. But yeah, no, I mean, so in a shortened season and with one year contracts and you know only two year contracts coming in last year, Scotty's um, Scotty's uh, strategy was perfect, really. There's no use doing a build because, yeah, <laughs> you're going to lose half of them anyway. Well, let's stop you two from agreeing, shall we? And look back at round six by <laughs> saying that Coach Kiwi got seven out of seven, the perfect round. Graves oh, with five really? out of seven. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Ca- I didn't know that. That sucks. Four Sorry, can you tip- say that again? Pete, I didn't hear that. Seven out of seven for Coach Kiwi. Yeah. That means Coach Kiwi now has a four-point lead, 33-29. to 29. So let's begin with round seven tips. We go up to sunshiny Queensland, Metricon Stadium, the Gold Coast Suns, and Richmond. I lead with you, Coach Kiwi. Who will win and by how much? Oh, look, I think um, Suns are going to really miss Perko um, in this lineup. But having said that, it was good to see Leah Kasler back and performing so solidly, but I just think Richmond have um, got some better systems going. They've got some more contributors to um, to that structure, and I think Richmond are going to win this by 16. Gravesy. Yeah, I'm hoping for a, a bout of food poisoning on the phone on the way up, and I'm going Suns by six points. Gold Coast by six I'm points there them, for Gravesy. Backing them up here. Come on. Oh, Don't oh. you good things. Let's go to Moorabbin. It is the Saints versus the team that dresses like witches hats, the GWS Giants. Uh, Gracie, who will win between the Saints and the Giants? Yeah, Saints by 18 points, Pete. They're back on the winning list. I reckon they'll go all right. Back at their little, you know, their little home ground that they love and the supporters will get behind them and, yeah, they'll tweak a few things and they'll be up and about, no doubt about it. Coach Kiwi. Oh, I'm going to throw a curveball in here, and I'm that going to go fine. the outside. I'm going to go the Giants. I think, I think they're going to come out, and they're, um, you know, hopefully they'll put their youngsters back in Garnett, um, Evans, and um, and even Libby Goran. I thought had a good game. So bring in the young local kids, put Priv back in the forward line, and um, Schmidt was great. Keep her in there. Um, throw Cora through the midfield. I reckon, uh, I reckon Giants by six. Let's go down to North Hobart Oval, tiny North Hobart Oval for the Kangaroos mm-hmm. versus the Western Bulldogs. Coach Kiwi, who wins and by how much? Yeah, this is a tricky one. When you're playing on a small oval, I don't know if this is going to work in North's favour. I think um, they love the run and carry and they could be impeded a bit, but I'm still going to back them by nine points. Gravesy. I thought you. I thought you'd go the dogs. I thought we were going to go opposite everywhere here this weekend. But <laughs> yeah, as I said, being on the um <clears throat> on the bad end of uh, North Hobart Oval um, loss uh, when I was with the Baggers. Um, yeah, North they still play really nice footy there, um, and they don't mind a smaller ground. North, if you've actually watched the results, the smaller ground got a little suit them. So yeah, I'm going to go. <clears throat> excuse me. 
I'm going to go north. It's getting late at night for me. I'm going to go north by, nah, stop it. I'm going the dogs by uh, four points. Risky business, the dogs by four. Let's go to Casey Fields. Actually, do we really have to go to Casey Fields? No one wants to go to Casey Fields. <laughs> Saturday night football, <laughs> Melbourne versus Adelaide. Gravesy, who wins it by how much? Oh, this would be a rip snorter, I reckon. Oh, it's so hard to tell with Melbourne. You just don't know which Melbourne's <laughs> going to turn up, really. Is it the Melbourne that kicks eight, one goal eight, or is it the Melbourne that just does what they do and, the, you know, they're such elite ball users. So, yeah, so it's interesting. But um, I just wish I was going second to see what Kiwi did because, you know, I like to throw a cat amongst the pigeons. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going. The crows are so good too. Oh, my goodness. Go your Darabin, mate. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going the Falcons by uh, – oh, does that mean the crows? No, I'm going the Falcons by um, – I'm going the Falcons by 12 points. Everyone drink because Darabin was mentioned. <laughs> Melbourne by 12 points. Coach Kiwi. <laughs> yeah, Gravesy's absolutely right there. You don't know which Melbourne team, but the same <laughs> thing can be said for Adelaide. You don't know if this is going to be the two goals, 21 behind um, weekend for them or um, if they're going to kick a little bit more accurate. But, uh, yeah, I think this one's going to be a real tussle. Um, yeah, since Gravesy's gone the Falcons, I'm going to go um, WA or is it Norwood? Or who, who, whoever it is from uh, Sample. Um, I'm going to go the Crows by six. I reckon you made me go for Melbourne so that you could go for the Crows. You are so dodgy. Because <laughs> you wanted so to go something dodgy. different. I'm, I'm actually back in Casey Field by 18 points. Yeah. Give me that oh. sideways win that no one can see. No. Yeah. I was there last week. It is not worth 18 points. It's freezing cold. <laughs> we were in the dry zone. We were there before the players. Oh my god, it was um, taking oh, a flask. Goodness <laughs> take some mold wine in a in a flask or something. I don't know. Carlton take a lot of uh, versus Fremantle <laughs> at Icon Park. Oh dear! Sunday afternoon football. Coach <laughs> Kiwi, who wins between the Blues and the Dockers? Oh, I think it's going to be the Dockers. Um, I yeah. I think Dockers are going to come out of the blocks. They're going to kick two goals before Carlton gets some touches on the football. And uh, I think they're going to win by 21 points. Gravesy. Oh, big one for you, Kiwi. Big one. Big <laughs> one. Yeah, I'm actually going Sunday. the Dockers as well. I'm going the Dockers. I think um, I'm not – yeah, I want to be convinced by Blues, but I'm not super convinced by Blues, unfortunately. And as I said, I backed them for the premiership, so I was – well and truly convinced I was on the bandwagon, but yeah, I think my wheels fallen off on one of my on my <laughs> like car. Flat tire. Yeah, I think yeah, I've got a flat wooden tire. This is harsh. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm going the Dockers, and I reckon the Dockers. Blues have put up a good fight, but I'm going the Dockers by twelve points, mate. Let's go up to Queensland again, up to Hickey Park. This is going to be a cracker. The Lions and the Pies. Who wins, Gravesy? It's the best question of the weekend, but it is absolutely the best question of the weekend. I mean, you know, the Lions play such good footy there, but was it the Crows that came up and just gave them a bit of a thanks for coming at Hickey Park a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Mm. So, oh, gee whiz, gee whiz, gee whiz, gee whiz. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm back in my Queensland crew. Good to see footy back in Queensland just quietly, and basically I'll be at Metricon, but I'm not driving up to Hickey Park on Sunday. Oh, no. 
Oh, yeah, lucky. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's my day of rest. So I'm going I'm going to the Lions by – I'm going to be a cracker. I'm going to the Lions by two points. Come on, Batey. Give me something. Come on, Coach Kiwi. Well, yeah, Batey's been strong, but, you know, she's got to come against – Davy, Malloy, Lambert, Can. Do I go on? Um, but you yeah, know, I'm going to go the pies all the way, and I reckon uh, I think they'll have some magic, and I think uh, nine points. Mm. To the final game of the round, which is being moved <laughs> to Monday. This is a Monday game oh, in WA. The West Coast Eagles versus Geelong. Coach Kiwi, who wins and by how much? I'm guessing this has been moved so that um, Becca Goring, the rock star for Cats, can go and do some gigs over the weekend and get to Perth. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it is. She might be doing some gigs down for you. Oh, she could be, yeah. See, she is a rock dog through and through. Um, yeah, this is, well, you know, I mean, this is going to be a classic match for probably different reasons that Lions and Pies are a classic match um, and a tricky one. Can we pick it? We're not allowed to pick a draw, are we? No. Ooh. Um, oh, and I don't know who's in the lineups. Oh, I'm going to go Cats by four. Ooh. I'm glad you opened that up for me because I'm going on the Eagles. <laughs> I thought you might. Yeah, I'm going, Make this I'm round going the West Australian one. teams and I'm going the Queensland teams. So you want the Eagles and, and by Falcons. how much? <laughs> um... I reckon the Eagles will win by 18 points. I reckon they're going to have their second win and up, be up and about and be singing that crazy song. Big win. It's a crazy song. Big win. Indeed, that would be the biggest win ever for West Coast in their short Where history in the AFLW. We're flying high. <laughs> On that note, we'll wrap things up. Thanks again, Nicole Graves and Lisa Coach Kiwi Roper for another edition of Coach versus Coach. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Still to come on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we'll be chatting with Ross Clayfield, uh, the coach of the UQ Red Lions and the QAFL Women's Competition. We'll catch up with Kylie Duggan. She is the newest NTFL Life member and her Darwin Buffett's won through to the NTFL Women's Grand Final on the weekend by knocking off the then undefeated Pints. We'll also be catching up with Mark Moody, the coach of West Adelaide in the SANFL Women's Competition and chatting with Ashley Gomes from the WAFL Women's Competitions East from Adel Sharks. They're taking on Swan Districts this weekend. But next, it's time to chat to a German playing in Victoria. VFL Women's Footy Report. She made her debut with the Hamburg Dockers back in 2018. That year, she also represented Germany at the Euro Cup. Yes, Germany have an Aussie rules team. They're called the German Eagles. After a successful couple of years playing uh, Aussie rules football in Germany, she's decided to make the move down to Australia, where she's already turning heads in the VFL women's competition with Geelong. It's great to have on the line Teresa Meissner. Teresa, how are you? Oh, I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. And if I just hear correctly, I start to hear a bit of Aussie twang in your voice. You must be settled in very comfortable here now. <laughs> oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, maybe. Well, I've been here for a bit now. Not too long, but a little bit. 
It's great to hear. Now, we're going to talk about in a moment's time how obviously uh, Geelong are going a close loss in round one, but a win over Weemstown in round two. But let's talk about your background to start with. Now, if I'm correct, back there in Germany, uh, you are originally a multi-sport athlete playing soccer, handball. You even did orienteering. So how did that lead you to Aussie rules? Yeah, yeah, right. So my background, yeah, is mainly in European handball, a little bit of soccer and some orienteering. Uh, this is very true. Um, and then how I got into footy. So I moved um, to Hamburg in 2018, a new city. And this is when it all started for women's footy in Germany. So I was, yeah, I was new. I was looking for new people, for a new team sport. Um, and I've seen on Facebook, one of my friends on Facebook uh, played that for a while like, uh, in the men's competition. Uh, and there was a girl coming over from the UK, Lisa Wilson, and she did a taster session. So I've seen her on Facebook, went there and, yeah, fell in love with the sport straight away. What appealed to yeah. you about Aussie rules football? Uh, it's probably just the combination of the sports I've done before. It's like you can use your hands, uh, like some handball, your feet, from soccer and the tackling like the contact it's fast paced you're running a lot it's just just a heaps of fun now with that you picked up the ball you played the game with the hamburg dockers was a small fledging league which started out in came frankfurt in came the berlin crocs for example and then all of a sudden this whirlwind of a first year sees you wearing a german jumper the german eagles playing at the niner side Euro Cup. What were you thinking going, hang on, I'm just a year into playing this and I'm already representing my country in this sport? Well, I think it was quite a big uh, or fast development for women's footy in Germany in general. Like, um, footy just started in Germany for women and then pretty much at the same year we developed a national team, like the German Eagles, as you said. Um, And for me, it was just like, I just love sports. I've done it all my life. And I'm also fairly competitive. And I always want to play at the highest level I can. And if that's on an international level, that's even more awesome. Um, and to compete in other countries, you get to know other people. That's just, uh, just great. Just a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, the, the Hamburg Dock has always been like a great start. Uh, like the competition, we had a, our first league in 2019 with four teams so that was great and then building the national team to compete yeah as you said the euro cup european championship um yeah just a great great experience and the people are just lovely and so supportive and it's just a great community to to be in yeah i think that that, that's the main part like the community and then playing on an international level at a higher level it's, it's just great how important do you think it was in, in this first two developing years of uh, German women's football that, first of all, in 2018 at the Euro Cup, you won three out of five games and finished fifth. At the AFL European Championships, which is the proper 18-a-side style football, uh, you ended up coming second in that tournament to Ireland. How important was it that you weren't the newbies at the tournament, you didn't finish last and you were easily beaten, that all of a sudden hey, we're amongst the middle of the pack here. We're actually competitive and we've only just started. Oh, yeah, that was um, really, really good. Um, I think it just showed how much of a a team sport or a team player we are in Germany. I think that's what the other teams also recognize, that we play just 
really good as a team because we've all been very new to the game. Like most of the girls have played on this game only for a year, probably not even. I've heard the sport about this, the, the sport this time in 2018. Um, so yeah, we've all been pretty new, but we've played as a team. And I think that's uh, what made us so strong and actually, yeah, made us winning some games. It was really unbelievable and really important for the community, like because it showed us, yeah, we can we can compete. We're strong. We we can do this. Yeah, no, it was such a great great um, success and really good for the community to see that we can compete. For you, when did you make the decision to come on down to Australia? Uh, so, yeah, when I played in Germany, actually a few people uh, said, yeah, yeah, Tina, Tina is my nickname. Um, go to Australia and play there. You'll be awesome. Um, so it took me quite a while to actually make the decision. And then in 2019, I finally booked my ticket um, to come to Australia. Um, simply, yeah, I always wanted to come to Australia. And then footy was just a great opportunity. Uh, and yeah, as I said, I'm quite competitive, so I always want to play at the highest level. And I mean, coming to Australia, to Melbourne, where the sport is born, just means I can play at a high level and improve my skills, get the experience. So yeah, that, that, that's it. I just wanted to play on a high level. So you've come on down here in, in 2019, um, and this is just before, obviously, this pandemic hit, which turns the world on its head. Um, where were you at at your football journey before then? By that stage, had you already trialled with the Cats, or were you at a community club? Where were you at that stage? So I've only played uh, in Germany before, obviously, um, just in our German National League and in some international competitions with the German Eagles. Yeah, and then I made the decision to come to Australia to play footy here. But I haven't been in contact uh, with any club beforehand. So I just came here to see how it goes. Uh, I've got a few contacts from, from friends, but didn't really get in contact with the clubs itself. Um, I was a bit lucky when I came here because uh, I moved into the house of uh, Danny Marshall. Like she's playing for the AFLW side for the Western Bulldogs, the first American in the AFLW competition. Um, so she had a few contacts for me. But, yeah, when I came here, I just joined the local club, which was around the corner. And first I played with the – I trained with the Devil Falcons, uh, the VFLW side, because they just had an open training. So I was like, yeah, I might just go and try. Um, trained with them for maybe two months and then – went to a tryout with the Western Bulldogs in, I think, was November 2019. And, yeah, apparently it went pretty well, got invited for a second tryout, and then they offered me a contract. So last year I actually would have played for the Western Bulldogs in the VFLW. But then, yeah, as we all know, the pandemic hit the world. Um, so it wasn't the best timing to come to Australia uh, with no footy going on last year in Victoria. Um, yeah, and because of the lockdown, uh, I left Melbourne just before the second lockdown, moved to a farm because, yeah, I have to do this work for, for my visa. And then I decided, um, I ended up in Geelong and decided I, I really like it here. Um, so I got in contact with the Geelong Cats, uh, went to the training and 
apparently I proved myself and they offered me a contract and yeah, that's how I ended up uh, with the Cats. Um, I'm really happy about it. I'm really like it here. That's fantastic to hear. And, and how hard was that decision like during the middle of the pandemic of will you stay here or will you go home? Because I think of a couple of US footballers that came out. Um, April Lewis had spent about a year and a half here. Um, she was going to try and get another visa or go for permanent residency. When the pandemic hit, she thought it was best for her and her partner to go back uh, to Seattle in the United States. Uh, same with uh, Rosemary Quoker. Um, she was playing up and down with Nycliffe. She came down. She was going to play with Weemstown when the pandemic hit. Hard judgment call to make. She decided to go home. We know the Irish AFLW footballers uh, packed up and went home to Dublin before their borders closed. How hard was that decision of should I stay or should I go? Yeah, well, it was, on the one hand, um, it was a rough decision because, yeah, the situation, I didn't have a job here, uh, couldn't find any, and then I came here to play footy and we can't play a game. So on one side, that was rough. But on the other side, um, I did the move to Australia across the world. Um, and I'm not giving up that easily. So it was a rough year, uh, like being locked down in, in, in the city and in Victoria where nothing's going on, um, having no job. My family's not around. I didn't even know if I can stay another another year so I might have just come here for a year, just hang around, and then I have to go home. So it was rough, but at the same time, I came here to play footy, and I really wanted to, to do it. So I just thought, no, I'm going to get through it. So when during the first lockdown, as I said, I was lucky that I lived together with Danny Marshall. So we could still go outside, uh, do some kicks, do our running together, which was great, which probably helped me a lot to improve my skills. So that was actually like a plus for me. Um, but then, yeah, things were about to open up. We could potentially play a few games and then second lockdown happened uh, and I left Melbourne. So it was rough, but at the same time, um, yeah, I just wanted to stay, play footy. And at some point this whole thing had to be over. Um, yeah, so I just went through it and now I'm glad I made the decision and stayed here and finally can play some games. Lisa Wilson did mention in an AFL Europe article um, two years ago that you were crazy fit and played 95% of the game on the ball. So how did you find making that adjustment from as much as you'd played um, other sports in Germany to doing a pre-season of Aussie rules at the state league level? Uh, it, was, it was pretty exciting. Um, so, yeah, I only played a few practice matches, but um, it, was, it was really, really great to see like uh, what the standard and the level is here um, it, was, it was really exciting and, and now to play like proper games um, I'm, I'm actually quite happy I'm not, not playing in the midfield at the moment so just in the back line to, to see um, how things go because I still have to learn so much but it's really exciting in that first game against Collingwood, it was a close two-point loss. Um, maybe if a few things went right, you would have got the four points. But as we know, you got the four points against Williamstown. Uh, what was said amongst uh, the group and from the coaching panel in that week between round one and round two for that improvement and things that you had to focus on as a team to make sure you could and you eventually did get the four premiership points? So, yeah, yeah, the game against Collingwood was uh, really, really close. Um 
we lost just by two points. Uh, well, we knew before the game that Collingwood will be one of the strongest teams as they like won the competition the year before. Um, but we showed that we can fight back, especially in the fourth quarter, kicking three goals. Um, it was such a good fight. And then the next game against Williamstown was again such a great team effort. And we're getting better from like week by week. We've done, we showed in the first game that we can move the ball quickly and good. Second game against Williamstown, we just improved. And I think we're just improving week by week in training at the games. Because we still have, we have a couple of experienced players, but um, also like me, a few um, rookies like who haven't played that much before. And it's such a really good team spirit here with the cats. Like we are very supportive and we can learn from each other so much. And I think it's the, the team spirit which really, yeah, gets us winning. And I'm very confident enough that we can go very far in this competition this year. Uh, there's plenty of experience in that side as well. When we talk about Michelle Fedley, the captain, Jamie Woollett, uh, both of them originally out yeah. of North Geelong. So they've been uh, local Geelong girls uh, playing in the uh, region for quite a number of years. Then, of course, uh, as the seasons aligns with AFLW and the VFLW, you had dropped back from the AFLW, um, uh, Steph Williams, who, uh, as people tell me, absolutely scorched the competition on the weekend with her speed. Um, how's it great? How great yeah. is it to be playing alongside the, the talent of that calibre? Oh, it's great. As I said, yeah, you have a few of like, really experienced players uh, in the team, which uh, they, they support as newbies uh, a lot. They they help us. They explain things. Um, it, it's really good. And yeah, playing with some of the AFLW girls, like for example, Steph, like she, she's just begun. Um, it's great to have this experience on the field. You can only learn uh, from that. And this is, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. And Really enjoy it. What does it mean for you personally to, after two rounds of football, that you've twice been named in the best? Oh, it, it means a lot to me because simply because, yeah, as I said, last year was such a rough year. I came here to play footy, uh, couldn't do it, and now I'm just, I got a contract with the VFLW side. Wasn't even sure if I'm going to be selected for the game, got selected got a lot of game time and even got into um, the best on ground, which is just awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of proud of myself, if I can say that. Um, it just makes me really happy that um, I went through this and that my effort gets uh, rewarded. And it, it's just great to see, even though it was, as I said, it was a great team shirt. And I think there could have been so many other names um, on that list. But yeah, it makes me just really happy. And with that feedback that you're getting from the coach, obviously a lot of praise. What's perhaps some of the things that they would and probably you personally would like to improve on as the season goes along? Um, well, I've been so far getting a couple of uh, good feedback. It's probably the main thing is probably still my positioning, which, yeah, um, because I haven't played that many games on a, on a big field or 18-a-side field. Because in Germany, we play mainly on a smaller field, 9-a-side field. So that's probably one of the main things, uh, positioning and decision-making, um, simply because it's just really different to what I'm used to. Um, but so far, the feedback has been has been quite good. Uh, they're happy with what I'm doing, but obviously there's a lot I still need to learn. 
Hopefully for you, two more honours to come. Um, personally, what would it mean for you should the International Cup happen next year or in 2023 when they finally do lock in that date? What would it mean to you to be wearing that German Eagles jumper playing in an International Cup on Australian soil? Oh, it would mean a lot to me. And I, I was honestly really sad when I read the news that the International Cup was uh, cancelled, even like was postponed to this year and then even cancelled uh, for this year. So it would mean a lot to wear this jumper because. In Germany, I learned how to play footy, uh, and the whole footy community is very supportive to me. They they want to watch the games here, the VFLW games. Uh, they wish me all the best uh, for the season, and they're yeah, the supporters is really great. And if I could play with them uh, again, it would just be awesome for me, and but also for them um, to come over here and play some footy again because lockdown in Germany. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard there at the moment. Um, it would mean a lot to me, yeah. Cause it's just a great community and to be there and be with the girls on the field, just the best feeling I can have. We've seen some women signed out of the London competition. We've seen Gaelic footballers recruited out of Ireland. We, of course, know Danny Marshall, the first American to be signed and playing uh, from the USAFL, playing in the AFLW. Finally, what would it mean to you that if, if your form was to continue to improve, that uh, come the end of the VFLW season, you get the tap on the shoulder saying, we would like to sign you or draft you to play in the AFLW? Well, that would obviously just be awesome because, yeah, I want to play at the highest level I can. And if that's the AFLW on a really professional level, that would just be fantastic. Mm. Yeah, but I don't really want to think too much about it. I just want to play the best I can at the moment, just improve on the small things, um, my skills and everything. So just don't want to push the, put the pressure on myself. Uh, don't think too much about it. Just thinking about every every week about the game. But obviously, yeah, if that would happen, um, I'd be very happy about it. It would be awesome. But yeah, I just want to... Think small, small steps. Um, yeah, that's the plan for, for the next coming month. Well, Teresa, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations on what's been a great start to the season so far with Geelong in the VFLW. All the very best for the remainder of the 2021 season, including this weekend, the big game that you've got with the Southern Saints at Deakin University. Well, thank you very much for the call. So let's take a quick look back at round two of the VFL Women's Competition. Geelong 7-10-52, defeating Weemstown two straight 12. Goal kickers for Geelong, Williams with two singles to Woollett, Ellsworthy, Clark, Fedley and Gonjaka. Uh, best players, Gonjaka, Clark and Pratt. For Weemstown, their goal kickers, Malnickus and long better players were Mead, Whelan and Merritt. To Collingwood versus the Southern Saints, which was our match of the day on Saturday. Collingwood 7-4-46 defeated the Southern Saints 3-6-24. For Collingwood, goal kickers were all singles. Sander, uh, Colburn Veal, Stratton, Smith, Barnett, Bunker and King. Best players, uh, Eamon Ferguson and Xander. For the Southern Saints, uh, their goal kickers, Bohanna, uh, Solitus and Stewart. 
Stewart, Birchina and Curley named amongst their best players. To the other game on Saturday, down at Casey Fields, Essendon 4-7-31, defeated Casey 3-4-22. For the Bombers, goal kickers were Clifford, Frew, Barber and Theodore. Their best players, Morecambe, Davies and Stepnell. For the Casey Demons, goal kickers were Fitzsimmon, West and Milford. Their best players, Horn, Karras and West. To Sunday football, we kick the jewel off the grass at Arden Street Oval and uh, North Melbourne 5-7-37, defeated the Western Bulldogs 2-4-16. Uh, O'Loughlin kicked three goals for the Kangaroos. Skinner and Fitzgerald won each. Their best players, Keeley, Lynch and O'Loughlin. For the Western Bulldogs, the goal kickers were Morris Dalton and Chadwick. Best players, Rudin, Tessiari and McMahon. To our Sunday doubleheader out at La Trobe University and Hawthorne, 7-7-49, defeated Darabin, 3-8-26. For the Hawks, Williams kicked four. Singles to Vine, Zagetti and Owen. Best players, Williams, Hutchins and Cormac. For the Darabin Falcons. Goals to Rowe, Mifsud and David. Their best players Simpson, Cubbish and Lynch. And to the final match of the round, Port Melbourne 9-5-59 defeated Carlton 2-3-15. Three goals for Sophie Locke, two to Harley and singles to Lasoski, Hay, Cincinnati, Diet and Pesky. Best players Bailey, Pesky and Locke. For Carlton, goal kickers were Wilson and Peterson. Their best players Coletti, Lou and Edwards. Let's look ahead to round three action and we have Friday night football March 12th it's the Western Bulldogs in Collingwood 8pm at VU Witten Oval and the remaining games are all on Saturday 11am out at the Hangar in Tullamarine Essendon versus Hawthorne 1.30pm out at Casey Fields it's the Casey Demons and the North Melbourne Kangaroos 2pm at Icon Park it's Carlton versus the Darabin Falcons 2pm at Northport Oval a clash of famous rivals Port Melbourne and Williamstown and 2pm at Deakin University, it's Geelong versus the Southern Saints. And the broadcast matches that we'll be doing on WARFradio.com, just go to our website and click on VFLW schedule for the up-to-date information. That's WARFradio.com or follow us on Twitter at WARFradio for confirmation on the VFLW games that we'll be broadcasting this weekend. QAFL Women's Footy Report. Well, for the UQ Red Lions, it's been a great start so far to the 2021 Bond University QAFLW Season 2 and Zip. And they took care on the weekend of Maruchidor. That final score, 6-1-37 to 4-5-29. That means they've got a big clash with Yoronga coming up this weekend. And it's great to have on the line the head coach of the women's team at the UQ Red Lions in Ross Clayfield. Ross, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having us on. I guess I have to ask you the question of what has clicked for the UQ Red Lions? We know last year in a, a strange pandemic season that we had, that the record was 3-8-1. and one. What over the pre-season and obviously leading into these first two games has clicked for the Red Lions? Oh, I think uh, it's not an easy question, Peter, because lots of things have to click, obviously, for, to turn things around. But I think, um, I think you've got to pay credit to a lot of the people who've been at UQ for quite a few years. There's a, a core of amazing players who've been really loyal, who've, uh, who've hung in there. I think there might have been a little bit of talk about some different options at the end of last season, but uh, those players have sort of stuck together. Um, Megan Hunt's just been named our captain this season with some sort of obviously some AFLW experience, and, and she remained loyal. And a lot of girls, uh, I guess, placed a bit of faith in their new coach, which is nice, and uh, we've brought a few, few players along for the ride. And, uh, yeah, things have... 
early days, of course, but things are certainly uh, looking positive at the moment. And how has that affected UQ and I guess all the clubs around the QAFLW competition? Obviously, we saw it uh, last year, bar the pandemic interrupting things, but the season has now moved into a February start to try and line up with the AFLW. And I guess the uh, sprinkling we now have of AFLW talent throughout the competition uh, that'll be in and out uh, compared to in the past, where obviously the season used to follow the AFLW and you'd have a good half a dozen so players in every side. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's a it's a no brainer, really. You've got to align the competitions. I think that'll certainly happen more and more, and and the season, the AFLW season, will obviously get longer. And I'd like to think that the the Queensland League will, will fall completely in line with that. I guess our experience at EQ at the moment is is Maria Maloney, who played the first week with Brisbane, was really close to selection. She was a travelling emergency on the weekend, but was able to play for our in our round one team, which was fantastic and. I think it's great for the, the girls at that level to have someone with that kind of experience around. But, um, you know, she comes down with amazing experience and great attitude and, and it's great to have her. But we're also hoping we see her in the Brisbane Lions line up pretty soon too. But, uh, no, definitely, well, I think um, we need players ready to go as soon as you know, Gold Coast or Brisbane need them. And the best way for that to happen is if they're playing football every week. Can you talk us through the game against Maroochydore on the weekend? It was a close one. In fact, uh, just three points in it in half time until you put the foot down with three goals in the third term. They kind of put the brakes on you in that fourth quarter, but you had enough of a margin to hold on by eight points. Maroochydore, of course, another young and upcoming side that uh, have been in a couple of uh, finals campaigns over the last few years. Yeah, definitely. It was a really tough game. I think we were lucky we were efficient in front of goals, picking six of our second chances, six of our seven chances, sorry. But, um, yeah, we, we had, uh, let's say, a fairly tumultuous week in between our, our first-round win against Wilson Grange. We had about seven changes to the lineup, which is not ideal. A couple of academy players playing in an academy game on the weekend, and unfortunately we had four players in round one pick up um, injuries, and, and Maria Maloney got the call up to be the travelling emergency for Brisbane. So, yeah, a third of the team swapped in and out. So not the continuity you want, but uh, having said that, was super proud that you know we're, we're batting that deep. I guess in terms of our depth in our squad, that we could go up to Maroochydore, play a team that we've struggled against recently, and and come away with the chocolate. Mia Tubler was one of those who came back into the side, making her debut for 2021, and uh, named best on ground. Yeah, Mia was fantastic. She uh, comes from a basketball background. It's only really her second year of football. Um, and I think coaches last year did the right thing, gave her a bit of experience through the back line. Uh, we've lost a couple of our rucks, unfortunately, early in the season. So she's a, an undersized ruck, but um, amazing athlete, great vertical leap, um, you know, 90 plus sort of yo-yo test. So she's an amazing athlete and she just threw herself at everything. And uh, in that third quarter that you touched on when we were probably needing to respond, I think it's fair to say, she sort of she rocked for twenty minutes straight in heat, and uh, I think it's probably one of the key influences. One of the other influences is in front of the sticks, and that is Grace Brennan. Uh, three goals last week against Wilston Grange, and backed it up with two more against Maroochydore. Yeah, she's uh, in great form. Another, another, probably another great example of one of those really loyal um, core of UQ kind of players. She's played in 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 the back line in the past, but. Uh, I think she's loving a move to the forward line. She gives us so much structure. She's constantly on the move, constantly presenting, has great hands, good mover, and yeah, and she's uh, 
playing the big six. And also, too, for Sophie O'Brien. Uh, Steph O'Brien, yeah. Steph, Steph, um, Steph's a really interesting one. Yeah, Steph's um, yeah, elite netball background, has played a little bit of lower-level football in the past and a bit of nine aside, but is uh, having a crack this season and she's, uh, she's an amazing prospect. Strong over the footy, go forward, punk smart, kick two, massive golf for us uh, on the weekend that really broke the game open. One of the veterans, uh, Maddie Crowley-Long, she's been around at Zilmere, at Kedron, and, of course, now at UQ Red Lions. Uh, named best on ground last week and was amongst the best again on the weekend. Yeah, Maddie's, uh, Maddie's pretty impressive. She's, uh, I think everyone around the local league knows Maddie, and she's, she's fulfilling lots of different roles for us at the moment. She was a temporary ruck replacement despite only being sort of short in stature, but has, you know, like Mia, has an amazing leap and she was terrific last week and then more of a traditional midfield, midfield role on the weekend and just, just works and works and works and uh, has, has that elite sort of combination of, I guess, that endurance and that burst speed and every, every chance she gets, she takes the game on. And again, by looking at the best on ground honours, it's like a duck to water, isn't it, for Megan Hunt, that she's really taken on that leadership, that captaincy role, and, and is showing it out on the field. Yeah, Megan's been amazing. Um, we've obviously done a lot of work at the club, I guess culturally, um, really trying to create a culture that's driven by the players. The players have been really clear about the kind of club and the kind of team they want to have, and uh, and Megan's driven that. And uh, on, on the weekend, again, just she. <laughs> She got a bit of a, a, a knock on the snods from one of her teammates leading up to round one and has a bit of a dodgy nose at the moment. She sort of wraps it up and runs out on the field and uh, puts her head over it and just leads by example. And, yeah, she's been absolutely terrific. So we look ahead to this Saturday, 13th of March, round three action, 3.45pm on your home deck at uh, UQ Oval number two. Uh, the Red Lions playing host to the reigning Premier's Yoronga South Brisbane. Now, the Devils have actually had a, a couple of big victories uh, over round one and round two. What is the anticipation like coming up against the reigning Premier's and, and seeing early on in the season where you stack in the pecking order? Yeah, I think that's that's a good summary. It's, it's a great opportunity early in the season to see where we're at. Yoronga's uh, one of those teams. They've just been a, a powerhouse in Brisbane, sort of Queensland footy. Um, and obviously the reigning premiers, and they've got off to a great start again. Uh, some real some real superstars and, and lots of real X-factor kind of players forward to centre. So we're, we're really looking forward to the challenge, but um, we're not going to get too wrapped up in one week, to be honest. We'll just, we'll just keep doing what we're trying to do and as cliched as it sounds, we just want to stick to stick to our kind of footy and our sort of processes and, and just make sure everyone plays their role and win, lose or draw, we just we know we'll come out from that Yoronga game with a lot of learnings and uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing where we're at, as you say, and, and getting a feel for where we might sit in the packing order. Well, as you mentioned, uh, coming out of that, it is a marathon when it comes to the season. Obviously, you want to win. If you drop it, there's many, many other games to pick up as you go for the road to the finals. Um, what are some of the boxes that you would like to tick against Yoronga uh, as you start to progress where your plan is for, as I said, the marathon that is the season? Yeah, well, I think a bit like uh, the, the Maruchidor game we've just had, we're, we're probably going to be testing our depth a fair bit. Um, we do have a few few niggles, a few injuries that we're dealing with and had a little bit of uh, further bad news with another ACL this week, sadly. So um, I think we've already used 28 in the first two weeks and there might be another fresh player or two pushing that out to 30 on the weekend. So 
I, I think uh, one of the big things we took away from last week is the fact we've had two wins. We've had 28 players exposed at that highest level. Our, our development team has been winning, which is fantastic. Um, plenty of people showing huge promise there. And this weekend will be another chance for a couple more players to, to show that they can get the job done at that level. Well, Ross, thank you very much for joining us and talking about UQ's great start to the season so far. Two and zip the big game this Saturday against Yoronga South Brisbane. And all the very best for the remainder of season 2021 in the QAFLW. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate that. So let's take a look back at results from round two of the QAFL women's competition. And Cooper Roo, 4 went down to Bond University in a thriller, 5-4-34. For the Bullsharks, Bond University goes to Ritson, Della, Sexton, O'Brien and Ma. Best players, O'Brien, Sexton and Ritson. For Cooper Roo, two to McLean, singles to Pittman and win. Best players, Tease, Pittman and Evans there for Cooper Roo. Absley 7 8 Back-to-back wins for them. They knocked off Cullingatta Tweed. 1-3-9 for Apsley. Campbell kick three. White, McPhee, Madden and Danik all with singles. Best players, McPhee, Lanigan and Danik for Cullingatta Tweed. the one goal kicker, O'Connell. Best players, Law, Brancatasano and Priest. University of Queensland, Red Lions, 6 1 37, defeated Maruchidor, 4 5 29 for UQ. is 2 to O'Brien and Brennan, singles to Crowley Long and Benjamin. Best players, Tubler, Hunt and Crowley Long for Maruchidor, 2 to Matheson, Madden and O'Grady, kicking singles. Best players, uh, Jupai, uh, Gregory and Epstein. And in the final match of round two, Yoronga South Brisbane, 16 12, 108, walloped Wilston Grange, 5 2. 232. For the Devils, it was four for Edwards, three for Zaga Close, two each to Keith Farquharson and Bogor, and singles to Broughton, Ferris, Goodwin, and McDonnell. Best players, Farquharson, Wardle, and Sutton. For Wilston Grange, two to Lug, singles to Spanos, Wheeler, and McNeil. Best players, O'Flaherty, Taylor, and Lug. Looking ahead to round three action, the QAFL Women's Competition, all games on Saturday, 13th of March, 2 p.m. at Graham Road, it's Apsley versus Wilston Grange. 2 p.m. at Exum Oval, Coolangatta Tweed versus Bond University. 3.45 p.m. at UQ Oval 2, St. Lucia. The UQ Red Lions versus Yoronga, South Brisbane. And 4.45 p.m. at Giffen Park, Oval Number 1, Cooparoo versus Maroochydore. NTFL Women's Footy Report. Well, over the weekend, we saw the undefeated Pint Queen Ants knocked off their perch. They went through the home and away season undefeated until they ran into the Darwin Buffets in the major semi-final on the weekend. The end result sees Pint go to the preliminary final. Darwin goes straight through to the grand final. And joining us on the line from the Darwin Buffets and new NTFL Life member, it's great to have Kylie Duggan. Kylie, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thank you for having me. A lot of people have been calling it an upset, knocking off an unbeaten side. But if we're to be fair, over the home and away season, you only fell short by two points and nine points both times you played point. You were always thereabouts. Definitely. I think um, our team definitely showed um, great skill against them every time we played it, and we matched them well across the ground. So, um, it was sort of, yeah, it was a good day for us on the weekend to overcome 
um, them and get the win on the day. And I think, yeah, as a team, we worked well together to get that win. And we knew what we had to do to get the job done. It was just about executing it on the day. And um, it, it executed and we, yeah, come away with the win in the end. I'm interested to know what was said in the rooms at halftime. At this stage of the game, um, you just kicked the last two goals to give yourself a little bit of momentum. Um, you were three straight 18, trailing z- uh, 6-0-36. Three goals is a tricky margin in women's football. You're close enough, but coming into the second half, if the opposition get one or two quick goals, that margin can easily blow out and the game is gone. What is said inside the rooms to try, I guess, A, keep, compa- keep calm, keep composure, and obviously work back into this game and knocking off an undefeated side? Yeah, basically it was about sticking to our uh, team structures and keeping it positive out on the field. Um, I think when we play our hard um, footy, it just comes natural to us um, to get the ball moving forward from then on. So it was yeah, just a matter of us, you know, in the middle, getting it together, working our structures well, getting the ball down uh, sort of out of the middle quickly and into our forward line. And our forwards were amazing again. I mean... Ashanti Bush in the forward line definitely opened up the game for us um, with her run speed and skill in there. So it was just a matter of, yeah, our girls working together and connecting from there. An absolute excitement machine, Ashanti Bush. In fact, she put you in front twice. First in the third quarter before Pite would sneak back the lead before three-quarter time. And then she got the crucial go-ahead goal in the final quarter. She did, yeah. It was it was a tough day for her because they sort of matched her well and tried to keep her away from the ball. Um, so she had to work hard, and it was tiring on her body to um, get get the ball moving forward. But she used her body well in those two instances, and um, just once she gets on the run, it's very hard to catch Shanti when the ball's in front. So, you know, when she has clean hands and picks that ball up, it's it's definitely going through the goals. And yeah, she did that on that day, and she's done it many games prior to that before. And how about the work from Michelle Ellis all day? And uh, she kicked the, the, the running goal that essentially broke the back of the Queen Ants. She did. Michelle has very strong hands. She's got a basketball background and um, she's a great asset for us um, in the forward line. she We know when the ball's coming up, you just need to put it up in the air. And she's sort of, she's, like I said, she's got strong hands. And once she turns and goes as well, Michelle's, yeah, definitely a strength and will finish off in front of the goals. Also back in the side, uh, a welcome addition in Dominic Carbone. She actually had a hard decision um, the week before that was to either play in your qualifying final. You did have the double chance. So if you happen to have lost that game to St. Mary's, we're still alive in the finals campaign or come down and play VFLW with Hawthorne. She elected to play round one football with Hawthorne. How important was it to have her back in the side on the weekend? Oh, Dom, yeah, she's she's an amazing athlete, all-round athlete, and we're very lucky to have her on board with us and the team. And, you know, as a vice-captain in our team as well, she's a young leader, um, and Dom will go far with her footy. She, yeah, she had a very hard decision to make that day, and, you know, and she made the right decision in going and playing that first game, the BSLW, and she shined in that game there. So we're all very proud of her and 100% backed her with her decision. Um, and, you know, that's, that's Dom saying that she has every confidence in, in her teammates to get the job done as well. And, um, yeah, I think Dom is, yeah, like I said, an asset for us, and we 100% back her decisions and respect her on the field, on and off the field. And what about the year it's been had by Gemma Yakano? Oh, yeah, Gemma is fantastic for us in the back line. She's definitely the, yeah, she's the rock in the back line. She reads the play well, runs off the back line well. It's, it's, that position suits her perfectly, and she's played some great, consistent footy over the past 
you know, two seasons really, but this season in particular, she's she's shining and yeah, she is our best and fairest winner and she's well deserved in that and yeah, she's a great footballer, Gemma is. So what's the approach now coming into the grand final? You've earned the week off. Um, is the theory to go hard on the Saturday to try and, I guess, uh, simulate what a, what would have been a match or to try and just go a little easier, maybe to take the foot off the pedal a little bit to make sure all the bodies are right and everyone's raring to go in a week and a half from now? Yeah, I think for us it's more sort of towards the start of the week now. We're in recovery mode and then, you know, midweek we'll have our normal training session like we do, um, work on those team structures that we need to do to come into that big game no matter who we're playing. Um, and Saturday's session for us will just be um, more of a team bonding, gathering group session. It'll be a cardio session, so nothing nothing footy-like. Um, we won't do any skills work on the Saturday. It'll just be yeah, getting our heart rates up and you know getting together as a group and starting to think about um, the game ahead. And we'll obviously all go down to footy and watch out who our opponents will be um, after the game, yeah. It's going to be interesting, isn't it, who you get as your opponent, and I guess your thoughts on them. Um, should Pint win? Obviously, that's a rematch, and uh, no doubt the Queen Ants will obviously be trying to get revenge. And on the other side of the coin, you've got Nightcliff, who are making an amazing run from fifth at the moment, and if they knock off Pint, all of a sudden you're facing a team that's got a lot of momentum. Definitely, yeah. I think, yeah, Nightcliff has... Um, come good at the right time so for them um, it's definitely great timing for them to um, start playing some good footy coming into finals um, for points they're always a good quality team as well so either way um, it, it's going to be a tough grand final for us but I definitely yeah, have every confidence in our team to get the job done no matter who the opponent will be but um, yeah both teams are great quality footballs, um, footballers and I think across the board we definitely can match both teams Obviously, you looking for a grand final, looking for that premiership medal as the ultimate team honour, but on the personal side of things, you actually awarded uh, an NTFL Life membership. Um, first of all, what did that mean for that honour to be bestowed upon you personally, but also alongside your teammate, Michaelia Roberts? Yeah, it's such a special honour um, to be rewarded the Life membership. I mean... You know, footy footy's a tough game and to play that many games, I'm definitely very proud of proud of that and to achieve that within football. But um yeah, even more special to achieve it alongside uh, Mickey Roberts who is an awesome footballer and an awesome mother, um, away from the field as well. So it's it's very special to share that with Mickey and um her and I will definitely be achieve, uh, receiving those um awards with big smiles on our face. And can you actually just go back a little bit to when you first began your footy career? What, what has it been like um, juggling? Obviously, you were playing and coaching in basketball, uh, originally with the Tracy Village Jets, balancing that cross-coding sport, uh, which a lot of uh, women are doing at the moment, playing basketball, playing footy. And, of course, at that time that you would have joined, everything was amateur and footy. No one was really thinking about a national league until, wow, where we are today with the AFLW. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's, it's amazing how far footy's come, women's footy has come in the past few years. And, you know, it creates amazing opportunities for the young youth coming through. And it's definitely very different, um, nowadays to when I first started playing footy. You know, I very first started coming, I just had a baby four months and started my first season of footy. And I think coming from a basketball background, um, you sort of bring your basketball skills into the footy game. So, um, it's tough as a mum coming, 
and playing footy, you know, after, you know, being a mum at home with young kids. So that's definitely a tough side of it. But um, cross-coding with sports as well, playing both basketball and footy is, is not easy on your body. And as the years go by and you get older, um, it gets a lot tougher. So you sort of have to be a little bit smarter about how you play and, um, yeah, your recovery of your body after games is very important. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a real honour and privilege to, you know, be able to bring that those my skills and knowledge from basketball onto the footy field and use it and try and, yeah, help develop our, our young youth now that I'm sort of one of the older players in the team. Um, yeah, it's important that we make sure that our young girls are looked after and they're our future generation for our club. Obviously, one thing we talk about with the uh, NTFL women's competition, we talked a lot about how the Victorians were coming up and how they're finding uh, playing footy up there in the humidity in Darwin. But I'm interested to know from your point of view, she said, you know, you're an older footballer and uh, more towards the twilight end of your career. How have you been found trying to, A, prepare for a season and B, play through the season when we have these uh, young under-18 kids coming through that are the first generation to have that uninterrupted path? that go all the way from Auskick through juniors coming into seniors now and that athleticism and skills they're bringing and, and how that's pushing you as a competitor out there on the field. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I definitely try and match the younger ones as you do when you're older and you're, you've got a competitive nature about you. It's, yeah, you definitely try and keep up with the young ones, but it's more about when you're older, um, you're sort of a bit smarter with the way you play and you use your body because, yeah, obviously the, there are going to be the younger generation that are coming through who are a lot quicker um, with the ball. So it's a more fast-paced type of game now. Um, but I think, yeah, using your smarts a bit more definitely helps on the field. Post-playing career, where do you see your involvement in football? Uh, I think definitely involved in the coaching aspect, help, helping juniors sort of, you know, part, with the pathways coming through. So whether that's with, you know, the thunder side of things, um, helping them sort of, yeah, develop more of a mentoring stage type assistant role coach um, in that in that type of area is is where I see myself after playing footy for sure. Well, Kylie, once again, congratulations on that honour of getting life membership with the NTFL, and more importantly for your team, congratulations on that major semi final victory over Pint. You booked yourself a ticket in the NTFL Women's Premier League Grand Final. Kick your feet up this weekend and get ready for the big one in uh, literally. Uh, days from now. Will do. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I definitely look forward to the game next week. So let's take a look back at the results on the semifinals in the NTFL Women's Premier League and Nightcliffe. Fifth place, and they've knocked off two sides already. 11 4 70, crushing St. Mary's 2 3 15. For the Tigers, Ward kick four, three for Irvine, two for Onion Smith, and singles to Gooden and Hill Carter. For St. Mary's, singles to Stevens and Dunn. And as we mentioned earlier, the Darwin Buffets, 8 3 51, defeating Pint, 7 1 43. No goal kickers listed for the Darwin Buffets, but goal kickers for Pint, Morris 2. Downey, Hewitt, Fabris, Grubb and Chittick with singles. That means the Darwin Buffets earn the week off. They go straight through to the grand final in a week and a half from now. The preliminary final this Saturday, 13th of March, 4.30pm local time at TIO Stadium, Pint versus Nightcliffe. And don't forget, you can stream it via YouTube by searching for AFL-NTV. SANFL Women's Footy Report.
So the second round of the SANFL women's competition has passed and West Adelaide at the moment shaping up fairly well. Two and zip to start the season, beating Norwood in round one. And then over the weekend, 7-9-51 victors over Woodville West Torrens, 4-1-25. We've got on the line a very happy coach in Mark Moody. Mark, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good start to the year so far for the Bloods. Uh, as we know, last year in the crazy pandemic stop-start year that we had, the 5-4-1 record, 2-0, good building blocks early. Yeah, it is. Uh, the girls have started well. We, uh, we've we had an, uh, a good uh, off-season, and uh, uh, that's uh, obviously walked into uh, the first two rounds and done pretty well. And um, Obviously, we've uh, had an influx of players into our footy club as well, and uh, we had, I think it was nine new starters to the team in round one and then uh, a couple new ones um, on the, in round two. But, you know, we've we've started well and uh, touch wood, everything's uh, heading in the right direction. For you as a coach, uh, what challenge has that been trying to, to formulate your game plan around such a turnover of players? Uh, it, it, it's been hard, but at the uh, same time, we've really had a good buy-in from the, uh, from the girls that have come. The good thing is, is... We had a couple of players uh, for that have already had sample experience and um, I've, we've had a couple that have had uh, AFLW and as well as VFL um, experience. So they've come in, they're not all newbies to footy, so that's been really easy to, to, to uh, get them on board. But it's, uh, it's been a great buy-in. Um, the girls, uh, we've had the, the youth as well as experience. And I think the, the most important thing is, is that we've had the girls that have actually come to our footy club um, requesting to come. We haven't, you know, we've, We've been good on the recruiting side of things, but uh, we targeted a couple of players and we've been successful in getting those. But the majority of those players have been girls that want to get to our program, which I think uh, holds us in good stead for the future. One of the players I want to talk about, one of the youngsters coming through, is Lauren Young. Now, she's out of the Port Adelaide Next Generation Academy. Uh, On her senior debut, she had 23 touches, 9 marks, and seven tackles in that victory over Norwood. Then backed it up this week with another eighteen disposals and six tackles. Absolutely, she's. Uh, we did uh, my first year last year. I know I was a bit rude towards the sample. I actually asked if I could get her over the line and play her as a fourteen-year-old um, because this sort of talent doesn't come along every day. Um, but unfortunately, that, that wasn't a, a, able to happen. Um, the rule with fifteen-year-old players. But look, she stepped into it. We knew that uh, she was a talent. Um, we put her inside the program last year as a 14-year-old and let her come through. So she's been mixing in with the girls pretty well. Um, but yeah, she is just a true talent. Uh, and she showed that last week. I, I've mentioned it on numerous occasions during the off-season to the sample and, as, uh, and other watchers of the game that uh, this girl could be anything. we just got to make sure that we don't burn her out too early. Um, because uh, there's a lot of people that are trying to get their hands onto her at the moment, but she is a, a true gun. Um, she has a mixture of um, Chelsea Randall and Aaron Phillips to her. Uh, she marks very well, kicks both feet, um, not shy to mix it and back back into packs, um, reads the ball pretty well as well. So yeah, she's got a, a, a very good game. Um, we just got to uh, obviously we just got to keep her. Keep her feet on the ground, but more important, we've just got to be wary that she's only 15 years of age and we've just got to make sure that we uh, move along with her in a slow manner rather than uh, saturate her. It almost reminds us of a young Chloe Shear who was dominating the then SAWFL at just 16. 
Yeah, correct. Absolutely. She's uh, she's a bit taller than than Chloe, um, and uh, but she, her aggression at the footy is like Chloe as well, and she kicks her footy like Chloe. So they both got good distances. Um, but yes, you're right. Um, we just got to make look. It's, I mean, the girl uh, can mix it with the the adults and things like that, and she doesn't go out. Then she doesn't look out of place. Um, but I just get very wary at 15 years of age, and you know, with uh, the guys that have played AFL and BFL and. SNFL, some of those guys that have come through at 15, 16, um, sometimes lose their way and don't get through to the to the big league. So I'm just very, very um, wary of that. So I just want to make sure that we as a footy club look after her and uh, make sure that uh, we give her all the resources and tools to be able to do her gig. And uh, so far, touch wood, everything's going in the right direction. And the game from Zoe Venning on the weekend, 25 touches, kicked a goal, Two marks, five tackles, four inside fifties, and two rebound fifties. Yeah, another another real good um, player for us, and uh, she's had two, three seasons in the sample, and uh, she's uh, really starting to hit her straps. She's in her in her um, um, drafting year, so Jolly's put in a very very big summer, a very big summer, and done some work outside of our normal uh, um, pre-season training and she's really trying to develop her game to ensure that uh, she can take the next step um, very strong overhead um, kicks the ball very well um, and very very hard at the ball and tackles very hard so yeah look I think her pace is probably the only thing that lets her down but what she what she hasn't got in pace she makes up with other facets of the game so no, I really stoked with the, the way that Zoe started the season and uh, she's very very important to our footy side you talk about that sprinkling of, uh, of experienced talent. One player that stands out, of course, is Luella McCarthy, originally at South Adelaide, uh, went across to Victoria to try a hand in the VFLW, back home now, playing with West Adelaide. 12 touches on the weekends, two goals. Yeah, look, I'm really stoked. I was fortunate enough to um, be involved with Louie when she was uh, over here in 2016 and 2017 and, uh, yeah, had a lot of time for her and I was really happy about her coming back home because she originally started at West Adelaide and, uh, and then I think she had another go in the sample with um, South Adelaide. Um, but, yeah, she's come home and uh, she's fitted back into our side really well. Her experience is good. She hunts the ball very well, reads the play very well and she's got a beautiful leg. Um, and, uh, she, you know, she kicked two goals on the weekend, but... It, her work around the ground and especially around the packs was really, really good. And uh, you can't buy that experience. And uh, that coupled with uh, our uh, other on-ballers um, held us in really good stead on the weekend. Yeah, that other name that stuck out for us was Shani Whiting, who, of course, we called a couple of years ago when she was running around for Weemstown in the VFLW, then ended up on Carlton's list, now moved across to SA. Yeah, look, this is this is one of the ladies that we uh, we went uh, out very heavily to get um, her um, start to the season and uh, her involvement within the uh, the group has been absolutely fantastic. She reads the ball very well, and as you guys would know, she uh, she can kick a ball um, either foot um, and on the weekend and especially in round one, she uh, she cleaned up across half back and then was able to give us some drive off half back. But just the way she reads the play. Um, and obviously the way she executes with her kick has been fantastic. Um, it's been good. It's been really good for the for the um, program as well as for the league to be able to have somebody that's been and had a taste of AFLW and still wants to have a, uh, another taste of it. Um, and uh, look, I think that she's gonna she's in for a good season. Um, and uh, yeah, we are absolutely stoked to have her on board.
What was the most pleasing aspect coming out of the victory against Woodville West Torrens? Yes, the scoreboard shows a, a comfortable 26-point win, but certainly no pushovers, particularly when they've got the likes of uh, Crows AFLW-listed player Renee Forth on their side. Yeah, look, it, it got it got hard. Um, they got within 13 points. We were cruising. We should have been probably uh, after the quarter time, uh, well, up to the quarter time, we, we had a fair few amounts of shots on goals. We should have been in front by more and then to have four goals, kick four, to their one in the second quarter against a little bit of a breeze. Um, it was, uh, I thought we were, we were going pretty well and we were playing within ourselves. And to the, uh, to the Eagles' credit, they, uh, they came out and uh, after half-time they, they put some pressure on us and they took away our space and our grass. But it, um, yeah, look, we settled just after three-quarter time. Um, but the, yeah, she's a, she's a fair player, Renee Fourth, and to have her running off half-back um, and then the next, another ex um, AFLW player in uh, Stephanie Walker. Also, uh, we had to be very wary of her as well. So the Eagles are, has has some good players, um, no more than you know Renee and Steph. But um, our girls were able to uh, just obviously settle, um, and then uh, Louis kicked those two late goals to make the score twenty six points, and it made the score look a little bit better. But we should have blown out. We should have probably been five or six in front, um, but we missed some easy shots. Your mouth must be watering for this Saturday. You've got the matchup with the reigning Premier's North Adelaide lunchtime at uh, High Sense Stadium. Now, most will be looking towards the fact that uh, North Adelaide's uh, winning streak's been continuing since last year. But if we look closely at round two, the Bays ran them close. That must give you some food for thought. Well, it does. Um, I, I think that the Bays will probably be the biggest, the big improver. I think them and Centrals will be the big improvers this year. Um, and uh, Glenelg ran them very well. They took away their space and wasn't, they, and they didn't allow North to uh, to do was what and dominate as much as they used to. But uh, look, they're going to be very, very competitive. And we had a really good trial with them uh, four weeks ago, and uh, I was really happy with the way that uh, my girls um, performed on that day. And I just hope that obviously we come to play on the weekend. But we're excited. You, you, You've got to play, you know, you've got to beat these sides if you want to uh, play in the finals and obviously uh, go all the way. And our plan is to be very competitive this week and uh, um, we'll have a good night tonight on the training track and then um, we'll, we'll, we'll go forward from there. But, yeah, we're very, very excited about playing. It's a good measuring stick. We'll, we'll see how we're really travelling. And one last question before we let you go. Of course, you've got behind the scenes in the admin part of West Adelaide, a former AFLW coach there in Wayne Siegman. What's it been like having a person of his experience behind the scenes with you there at the Bloods? Yeah, it's been fantastic. Wayne, Wayne's a very, very, he loves his foot. He's intelligent football brain. He, he, he's uh, been great. He's been sitting in the boxes with us as when uh, time permits. Um, but he's been very, very good. He's, he's um, helped us out with the program. Um, he's a good soundboarding for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, in the early days, we were opposition when I was at the Crows and he was at Collingwood. But, no, nah, we joined forces and he's done very, very well when he's set the program up and uh, also with the men's program. So I know the footy club, uh, not just the women's, but the whole footy club are really stoked to have Wayne on board and his experience. Um, and he brings a wealth of that with us, with him. Well, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations on the two-zip start to the year and all the very best with the clash with the reigning Premier's North Adelaide Saturday lunchtime at High Sense Stadium.
No worries at all. Thanks very much. So let's quickly take a look back at round two of the SANFL Women's League in South Adelaide. 3-5-23 went down to Norwood. 7-2-44. Goal kickers for the Panthers, Kirk Page and Schrimmer. Uh, for disposal getters, it was 19 touches to Montana McKinnon. 18 to Nicole Campbell. 16 for Sarah Wright. 15 touches for Gipsy Schrimmer. For the Red Legs, goal kickers, Drake with two half penny with two singles for Breed, Fenton and Schrute. Their key disposal getters, uh, Macalino with 17 touches, 15 for Clark and 13 each for Armistead, Breed, Drake, Gallagher and Martin. Central District Bulldogs 2-5-17 went down to Sturtner Thriller 3-1-19. For the Bulldogs, goal kickers for them were Hune and Rosenweg. Their disposal getters were Smith with 14, Rosenweg, uh, Solomon Teague all with 13, 12 touches for Shannon McCurphy. For the uh, double blues, it was 17 touches for Kuiper, 16 for Gep, 15 for Fletcher, 13 touches each for Prenzler and Prouse. Uh, their goal kickers all singles, Brooks, Burv, Forby and Healy. Glenelg, 2-7-19, went down to North Adelaide, 3-6-24. The base pushing the reigning premiers. For the Tigers, uh, goal kickers were Armitage and Bates, and their best disposal getters included Tannen with 20 touches, Bates and Window with 17, Morris with 16. For the Roosters, goal kickers were Baltrop, Ewings and Gordon. When it comes to disposals, 19 touches for Greet, 15 each for Case, Radden and Thorne, 14 for Ewings and Harvey. And to the final game of the round, West Adelaide 7-9, 51 defeating Woodville West Torrens 4-1-25. For the Bloods, goal kickers were McCarthy with two, Biddle, Elsgood, James, Newman and Venning with one each. And with the disposal getters, as we mentioned earlier, Venning with 25, 18 for Young, 17 touches for Owen, 16 each for Biddle and Whiting. For the Eagles, their goal kickers, all singles to Blandon, Colley, Goody and Gooley. And their disposal getters, 22 touches for Renee Fourth, 14 for Bladden, 12 each for Falkenberg and Walker. Looking ahead to round three action with... We've got Friday Night Football at Cooper Stadium with a doubleheader. We'll kick off with Central District versus South Adelaide and then Norwood take on the Double Blues. Doubleheader on Saturday with High Sense Stadium kicking off in the morning with Woodville West Torrens versus Glenelg and then the big one at lunchtime, West Adelaide versus North Adelaide. And don't forget, you can watch it all via a Sandfall digital pass. Go to sanfl.com.au. WAFL Women's Footy Report. Round three action in the WAFL women's competition on the weekend saw East Fremantle break through for their first win of 2021. They did it in emphatic style, a crushing victory over Subiaco 6-9-45 to just the one behind for the Lions, uh, starring their Madeline Ross three goals for the East Fremantle Sharks. And we've got on the line a very happy captain in Ashley Gomes. Ashley, how are you? Good, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line. How's the buzz around the camp? We know it was a, a bit of a slow start to the season for the Sharks, but finally getting that off the back, first win of the year. Yeah, I mean, we look at it as we're a growing club. We've got a new captain, and uh, new captain, sorry, new captain, new coach, 
few structures really. So after that first win, I think it's really got the girls up and about. And especially we were playing for a special little girl with a rare disease, um, it's a genetic disease called TBC one D two four. So she's only six years old, and there's only a hundred people in the world. So. We're very fortunate to get the win for her and all her family got to come down and have her run out with us. So, very special win for us. And it's great to, that she got to saw an East Frio win and everyone's happy all round, which is fantastic news. Um, first of all, uh, how have you actually been adjusting to what we now have as an early state league season virtually happening in most places around the country, all kicking off in February? Yeah, it's not, it's not too bad, actually. I actually don't mind playing in the heat. I actually don't enjoy playing too much in the rainy days but yeah it's definitely a new I mean it's a new competition you're playing in summer so obviously a lot of the heat protocols come in place but I mean compared to playing in pouring rain like it was most of last year it's definitely a refreshing start. Can you talk about what it was like coming into the first game of the season against the reigning Premier's Peel Thunder? As we said, it's an unusual circumstance. We've got an earlier starting season and WA and then also Victoria as well had five-day lockdowns due to COVID. You said you've got a bunch of new players, new structures to learn. How was all of that mayhem as you led into the opening game? Yeah, it's a lot to take on board and I think I think we had five debutants that Round, like round one as well so I mean as a club I think in the first quarter we'll definitely trying to get everything together but I'm just looking forward to looking forward and definitely trying to improve week in week out but after that round one I mean Peel are a great side they'll always be a great side in our Waffle W competition so hopefully next time we visit them I think round six we come up against them again so hopefully we can get the win then. As the results show over round one and round two, the margins were getting closer before building into that eventual victory over the Subiaco Lions. Looking back from a captain's point of view at your team's performance as you built through those last three weeks, what were some of the things that were starting to connect and and work well as obviously it resulted in four premiership points on this weekend? I think it was the confidence. I think the girls build confidence at training. I think having the coaches have our backs through even the losses. I mean, every the two losses that we had, round one and two, they were having our backs 100%. They just kept us all positive. I think the positive mindset is probably the biggest thing that we've really wanted to set in place this year. And I think not dropping our heads is definitely one of the biggest things for us this year. But getting used to all the structures, I think now round three, everyone's on board with the new structures, new coach, new everything really. So I think it's really going to come into place in the next few rounds. You had five changes actually coming into this game against uh, against the Subiaco Lions. Uh, Emily Burton, Donna Fidel, uh, Samara Plush, uh, Ali Sanders, and also Evie Gooch. Yep. Oh, great in. Huge in. It was incredible to even have Evie Gooch. I mean, a previous East Fremantle captain and AFLW Dockers player. I mean, having her influence in the forward line definitely brought, I think, everyone's spirits up and gave us a lot of confidence going into this round. On that point, obviously a lot of AFLW fans are listening as well. And the great thing about the state leagues being lined up now with the AFLW is those players can drop back from the AFLW to state league to find a bit of form before going back up again. Uh, How did Evie Gooch, Alex Williams and Anne McMahon go? Uh, They're ridiculously good. And I'm very surprised that 
I mean, especially Anne and Alex, and especially um, Brianna Green, she plays for the Eagles as well. Those three have been in our side since round one, and they've all played incredibly. And like I said just before, having Evie Gooch with her, I guess, previous captain role, all her leadership on the ground definitely helped. And I'll be very surprised if any of them are playing in the Waffle W or not the AFLW this week. There's obviously a lot of WAFLW talent that's being talked up. Uh, I want your thoughts on one name. I know uh, Webbo has been pushing her really hard, and that's Sharon Wong. Oh, I'm very surprised she has not been picked up. I mean, I've been at the club for six, seven years now, and she's always been the top player. I mean, I think she's triple back-to-back, best and fairest at the club. So, yeah, I just think it's, Crazy that she hasn't been picked up. Any club that does get a sniff on her and picks her up, hopefully in this year's draft, will definitely come out as a win. She's an incredible person, incredible player. And, yeah, I just, again, can't believe that she hasn't been picked up earlier. Some other names that are being popping up, according to afl.draftcentral.com.au, uh, they've highlighted uh, Kimberly Bolton, uh, Angelia Grayson, and also uh, Miley Leach. Yeah, that, especially... Um, Miley and Angelique, those two are only, I think Angelique is 15, I think Miley's 17, so young talent, and it's incredible to see them come up to that league level and put in 100% and honestly playing at league level. And the same with um, Kim Bolton, she's been at the club for years now, and from going from ruck to back line, she's an incredible person, again, her leadership and her encouragement throughout the game definitely shows why she should be on those AFL lists. And you mentioned having a 15-year-old in your side. Um, what's it been like with that balance having the under-18s come through? Obviously, they've got some dual commitments with not only Rogers Cup, but some of them obviously with the State Academy. And they'll have uh, coming up uh, in just over a month's time, uh, the under-18 national championships. Yeah, it's great having them in. It's, I mean, me being 23, I feel like it brings the average age a lot lower down, which makes me feel a bit happy. But like I said before, having younger girls come up to that youth girls competition and seeing how incredible their skills are. I remember when I was playing youth girls a couple of years ago, we couldn't even feel a side. Now they're struggling to cut girls. I mean, it's, yeah, their skills are incredible and especially the attitudes, the attitudes towards football, the want to win. It's crazy to see how, passionate these girls are about football at their age. What can you tell us about Madeline Ross on the weekend putting three through the big sticks? Oh, oh her name, we nickname her Gaz, but she's an incredible forward line player. I mean, we were playing her as an inside min at the start, a bit of back line last year, and Quayley thought, oh, we'll chuck her in forward, see how she goes, and I think after this weekend she won't really be moving, especially after the three good goals that she kicked, so... Great player, really quick, really agile. So keen to see how she goes for the rest of the year. Yes, kicking goals can be quite addictive and you'll be hoping uh, more from uh, this weekend. You've got uh, Swan Districts coming up. What did you think of their play over the last few weeks and uh, what do you think you've got to do to be able to try and stop the Black Ducks from getting the better of you? I mean, they're a really young and quick side and I think that will definitely be one of the harder things for us to, I guess, get on top of. But... In saying that, I think we've got a lot of older players with qualities that they don't necessarily have. So I think 
we just need to go out there, stay positive, know that we've beaten them before. I mean, this round's NAIDOC round, so it's going to be really big thing personally for me, for my team. I really want to go out there and do all the Indigenous players, coaches, supporters really proud of and speaking of NADOC week and uh, all things Indigenous, we obviously saw just over a week ago um, the AFLW Indigenous round, some fantastic jumper designs by all clubs. Um, anything East Fremantle are doing uh, special this weekend to uh, celebrate NADOC week? Yeah, so each round um, we wear our NADOC warm-up tops. They're designed by a girl called Charlona at our club. They're incredible designs. It's flick through a pick of them. Um, and also, we'll wear our Indigenous jumpers that we've worn for the previous two years. So, it's really great to go out there and actually be able to embrace the Indigenous culture. And I've definitely got some really close friends that are Indigenous, and I hopefully go out and make them really proud. Well, Ashley, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations on getting the Sharks' first win for the year on the weekend and no doubt looking forward to a big clash this weekend against the club you've had a long rivalry with, Swan Districts. No worries. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me, guys. So taking a look back at round three of the WAFL women's competition and East Fremantle 6-9-45, defeating Subiaco, just that solitary point. Uh, goal kickers for the Sharks, three to Madeline Ross, singles to Ali Noakes, Larissa Versace and Ali Sanders. And as we said, uh, no kickers, obviously, for Subiaco, just scoring that solitary point. Peel Thunder, 5-8-38, went down to Swan Districts, 10-6. 66 uh, for Peel Thunder, uh, 3 to Kate Bartlett and 2 to Asher Wright. For Swan Districts, Michaelia Morrison kicked four goals to each to uh, Wilstra and LeKay and singles to Anderson and Edwards. And Claremont, 11 defeated South Fremantle, 3 For Claremont, goal kickers, 2 to Franklin, singles to Payne, Arnup, Valentine, uh, Demanis, Smith, White, Weston, Scanlon and McDonald. Good spread there. And for South Fremantle, goals to Cronin, Huggett and Ward. Looking ahead to round four action, we kick off with a solo Saturday game, March 13th. It's uh, prime time, 6pm under lights at Leaderville Oval, Subiaco versus Claremont. On Sunday, both games at 2pm, East Fremantle versus One Districts at New Choice Homes Park. Again, that's part of the NADOC Week celebrations as well, and that game will be live-streamed by the WAFL. And then Peel Thunder versus South Fremantle, as we said, also at 2 p.m. taking place at David Gray's Arena. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for yet another week. This podcast is usually available Wednesday nights by going to WARFradio.com and available throughout all your favourite podcast platforms. And all the segments in this podcast are also released as individual mini-podcasts. Again, available via your favourite podcast platforms and at WARFradio.com. Just click on podcasts. We've got three games of football. We'll be calling on WARFradio.com this weekend in the VFL Women's Competition. We've got Friday Night Football. That's this Friday, the 12th of March, 7pm. Western Bulldogs versus Collingwood from VU Witten Oval. We'll then back up Saturday morning, 10am at the Hangar in Tullamarine for Essendon versus Hawthorne. And then at 2pm at 
North Port Oval, an historic clash for the first time ever in women's football. Two of the oldest clubs going around in Victoria, Port Melbourne and Weemstown. Those three games live this weekend on WARFradio.com. Until next week, I'm Peter Holton. Thank you very much for your company and it's bye for now.